This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello and welcome to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Parisa and Kyler from Third Stage. Parisa and Kyler, welcome. Thank you. Hello, hello. Thank you. Thanks for being here today. We're excited for a show today and another epic episode of Transformation Ground Control. We have a couple great guests here today. Um, later in the show, we're going to have uh, Nate Stroer from Third Stage. He's a director on our team. He's going to be talking about, or actually we're going to play you a clip from uh, a recent full throttle event that we hosted where Nate talked about change management. And so he's going to be talking about change management methodologies and best practices. And so we're going to actually play that clip later in the, the podcast. And before we get to Nate, we're going to have another guest, uh, Mike Vespina from Rena Partners is going to be on. And he's going to talk about how to manage IT organizations within high growth and private equity owned uh, organizations. So we're going to talk about some of the IT aspects and the IT transformation aspects of, of those sorts of situations. Um, but before we get to Mike and Nate later in the show, um, just to, to start off, uh, one of the things we're going to talk about with Mike when he comes on after a break, we're going to talk about M&A and, and high growth types of companies that are going through transformation. But let's just talk about M&A and, and growth just in general. So maybe I'll turn over to you, Parisa. I know you had some thoughts or threads you wanted to cover here today. Yeah, well, it's interesting the time that we're in because there are so many different trends that are taking wind and and growing and one of those is the rate of mergers and acquisitions just across the world we are at an absolute record for how the value of mergers and acquisitions and it's actually up 158 percent um during the same period from last year so if you look across all of 2021 across the whole world we are at $2.4 trillion in the value of mergers and acquisitions. So um, huge growth. And there's, I mean, it's, if you think about it, there's so many shifting industries, you know, con consumer behavior is shifting. Um, you know, there's new initiatives going on, pushing different industries in different directions. So it makes sense um, from that angle, but there's also the thought that there's a lot of confidence because the stock market is doing well. Um, and one thing that stood out is interest rates are so low. So borrowing money right now is fairly cheap when you look at it relatively, right? So I think all of these different elements are making up the, the, the prime time, if you will, for mergers and acquisitions across almost every industry. Uh, but what's interesting is usually it's it's the tech space that's seeing a lot of mergers and acquisitions. But the month of May kind of turned turned the tech industry to take a back seat to media and entertainment. And media and entertainment deals accounted for over a quarter. I think it was twenty nine percent of merger and acquisition value in the month of May. 
so looking at you know the huge deals such as Warner Media, I think buying Discovery, that was a $43 billion merger. You have Amazon, that's just kind of slowly taking over the world, um, buying MGM and adding that to their portfolio. Um, so now they have Whole Foods and MGM. Funny how that works. <laughs> um, but it's it's just everywhere. Every industry, you see a lot of companies kind of coming together. And beyond that, a few other uh, noteworthy mergers that I noted were, I think it's pronounced Danaher, bought a huge supplier for Moderna, so a biotech company called um, Aldevron. I think that's how you say it, Aldevron. And it was a $9.6 billion cash deal. So they came to the table and said, hello, here is $9.6 billion um, and kind of took over operations there. Um, and then we last week on our episode, we were talking about electric vehicles and Ford just bought an EV charging management platform called Electrify. And you know, I don't know if you guys have had a Ford vehicle in the recent, you know, years. I don't know when they implemented this, but, you know, we drive a Ford and it comes with an app right now where it's connected to your car. You can turn your car on using the app. It tells you, you know, how's your oil level? Do you have gas? You can pretty much manage your whole car from your app. And I'm guessing that this software is going to be integrated into their existing app so that if you do have an electric vehicle, you can see, you know, what's my charge level at? Um, you know, do I need to charge my car? It's so different having that come out of my mouth because usually you're charging your phone. So it's weird, but um, it makes sense. And Ford is Ford is gearing toward making almost half of their their like plethora of automobiles electric by 2030 so less than 10 years they're planning to be at 40 percent electric vehicles so you know with all of these you know industries moving and shaking it, it makes sense that mergers and acquisitions are are popular right now and and i think more popular than ever before but you know looking at even the ford example having the software element on two different companies coming together as one, I imagine is probably one of the most challenging elements of a merger and acquisition. I mean, there's so many different facets from, you know, two different cultures, two different processes, or probably way more than two different processes, but everything coming together to become one. Um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of room for error if you don't do it right. And we talk a lot about ERP failures but is there such thing as a merger and acquisition failure? I mean, have you heard of that or seen that before? Yeah, yeah, it, it, and you're right on all fronts there. I mean, it, the merger and acquisition failures are, are very common. I, I studied um, in, when I was getting my master's, I studied mergers and acquisitions, or that was one of the things I studied. And I remember there's a statistic that was north of 80% of merger and acquisition integrations fail. And um, most of the time, or the most common reasons they fail is because the cultures don't integrate. So you've got not only the operational disparity that you're talking about, but you also alluded to culture and that cultural piece is the number one reason why uh, MA integrations don't work. And it's a lot like digital transformation, a lot of ways to your point, because you're trying to, you're, you're trying to totally change something in a short period of time. And that's just difficult to do. It's like doing open heart surgery on a, you know, on a marathon runner while they're running a race or something. It's, it's just a, a difficult proposition. So yeah, there is absolutely an issue with that. And I think a lot of, M&As fail to realize the value 
uh, because of that. Wow. That's actually the last thing I would have thought it would be due to is culture. I feel like it would be more so the processes or figuring out how to, you know, integrate the software. but it really just comes down to the people. That sounds, that's crazy. You're telling me after 21 episodes of ground, doing ground control with me, you still don't know that I'm always going to come back to change management. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. I'm probably going to come back it's to change management. Touche. You're right. It's a big part of it. I mean, okay. In that case, then let me ask you this question. So what should leaders be aware of when it comes to change management, when it comes to, you know, obviously OCM as it pertains to mergers and acquisitions? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think there's two things. One is the you know, on the maybe the more strategic due diligence front, you know, organizations need to be looking at assessing what the cultures of the organizations are. I think a lot of private equity types tend to look at the stuff they can see on paper. You know, they look at the P&Ls, they look at, you know, the, the cash cash flow and what the financial synergies might be. And they look at the strategic synergies and all the stuff on paper that may look like a dream matchup uh, in, in a very well meet, it very well whoa, I cannot talk today. It very well may be a dream matchup, but in the sense of the other stuff, but when you get to culture, if the, you have two different cultures, like if one organization is super, let's say command and control, top down um, sort of environment, and then you've got another company that's totally entrepreneurial and uh, decentralized, shoot from the hip. It may be that, let's just say the top down company wants to go acquire that entrepreneurial company because they drive growth and they, they want to become more um, entrepreneurial. A lot of companies try to buy their way into that mindset or into that culture without realizing that you're just going to frustrate both both cultures, and, and it's going to it's going to create so much tension and chaos within the organization. So, I think probably the biggest thing PE types or people that are doing due diligence part of a, a merger or acquisition should also be looking at culture and how the cultures are different and understanding how how much different are they? Are they are they this far apart, which you know may be too much to overcome, or is it more? you know, sort of an incremental shift that might be more manageable. And most, I haven't seen a lot of PE types really look into that when they, when they do their due diligence. So that'd be a way to start. And then the second thing I'd say is on the integration, when you actually get to the integration, a lot of times the focus is again on technology. It's on the processes and how you bring together the processes, how you bring together the product lines and all the, the tangible stuff, but then they overlook the, the organizational change piece of it. How do we, how do we redesign the organization? How do we, move people along and bring them all together as one team, um, that people piece of it, just like in digital transformations, uh, tends to get overlooked quite a bit. So those are the two things I'd say on the strategic due diligence front, there's a there's a piece of it. And then certainly on the execution, once the decision's been made, well, that's important too. Hmm. That's interesting. So then would you say, so say there's a company that has exactly what you want that would fill the puzzle piece of your future state but their culture is totally opposite to yours. Should you run the other direction or should you find a way to make it work? I don't know. That's, that's tough. I mean, I, it's rare to see that succeed, you know, when they're so different, when they're polar opposite types of culture. Um, that's why I say, you know, if you're, you know, if you're sort of a, let's just say you're an organization that's on a, on a uh, scale, you know, you're leaning a little bit towards being command and control versus complete extreme command and control. Um, and you want to go buy an organization that's a little more flexible or a little more entrepreneurial than you, that might be a better fit, more manageable because you're, you're shifting the needle rather than just totally ripping out one of the two cultures and trying to replace one with the other, or sometimes worse yet, trying to integrate two cultures that are like oil and 
oil and water. Is that the is that the cliche? Mm -hmm. Is it oil and gas? I was I was get confused. Oil and water. I think. Oil and water. Uh, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good analogy. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I know that uh, you and Mike are going to get into it a little bit more too on just the ins and outs of scaling a company. And I know a lot of what you guys are talking about is mergers and acquisition. I mean, acquiring a company is a key way to scale your business. So, um, you know, the different elements that come with that to drive the success behind the IT specifically, that's what you guys are going to talk about. And I'm curious to see uh, Mike's perspective on it too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be curious to hear, you know, some of the drivers for, for that M&A, uh, those record setting M&A levels that you were describing before. I think that's, that's super fascinating. And you know the other part that's interesting about that too that I want to dive into with with Mike a little bit is when you when you have the economy anytime the the economy is um, in turmoil or going through some sort of change that's usually when there there's a lot of M and A activity because you've got you know weaker players out there and the stronger ones are trying to buy up the weaker ones or the you know the stronger ones see an opportunity to scale even more when when things are going through change so it'd be curious to see you know what he's seeing just because he's, he specializes in. Uh, M&A and high growth types of situations. So look forward to that as well. So we'll we'll take a quick break and we're going to bring Mike onto the show. We're going to dive into this a little bit more, not just from an M&A perspective, by the way, we're also just going to talk about growth in general. So even if you're part of an organization that may, maybe it's not an M&A situation, but you're going through growth, that's the sort of theme we wanted to cover um, within that discussion. So we're going to have Mike on, on the show right after a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hey, feeling good. Like I should When in Durk, walk around the neighborhood If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Parisa and Kyler from the Third Stage team. Uh, you can find us live on YouTube. We go live on YouTube every Wednesday morning in the U.S. or U.S. time, I should say. You can watch us wherever you're based, uh, anywhere in the world. But uh, U.S. time, Wednesday mornings, you can find us on YouTube. You can also find us on all the podcast platforms, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, um, Google, whatever platform of choice you prefer. You can find us there. So we're going to bring on our next guest, Mike Vespina from Rena Partners. Rena is an organization. We're going to dive into a more formal uh, introduction here in a second, but Rena is an organization that helps clients with their uh, merger and acquisition integration and among other things. And so we're going to talk about high growth situations and how to scale IT and I IT functions for high growth situations. So that being said, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Yeah. So. Before we get started here and, and sort of fire away with some starting point questions that I have, and then certainly we'll open it up to audience questions as well as we're going here. 
Um, and by the way, for those of you listening live, please feel free to chat at any any time. Just pop in a question and we'll we'll get to those. Um, but maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about Rena, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, so so nice to meet you, everybody. Uh, it's Mike Pesvina. Uh, I, I started my career uh, actually at SAP. Um, so uh, I've actually worked in the ERP space for, for quite a bit and um, actually maintain a lot of my uh, background has been on sort of software providers in enterprise software. Um, so actually sitting on the sort of software provider side. Um, but kind of balance between that with actual implementation of, of going into companies and, and putting ERP systems in. So um, for about the last six years, I've been working almost exclusively in M&A uh, with sort of technology lens around that. Um, Reddit Partners was started about three years ago. Um, uh, a former part, uh, business partner of mine, him and I uh, uh, started started this off and actually with another another partner of ours. Um, and we've we've grown quite a bit in the last couple of years. Uh, as you mentioned, our focus has been um, uh, technology strategy. Uh, so we're a boutique firm that that uh, works almost exclusively, I would say, in middle market private equity. Um, so call it middle market and lower middle market. Uh, so to your point around sort of IT strategy, a lot of what we see is uh, acquisitions being done in that space, uh, and that can go from everything from kind of your classic. Uh, manufacturing, distribution, healthcare, uh, business services companies, retail, uh, through to uh, technology-enabled businesses. Um, so business services, for example, that might have built their own proprietary technology, um, all the way through to uh, what is kind of, I would say, called uh, technology-led or, or software companies, um, as they're probably more, more widely known. Um, and so what we do is we do a lot of due diligence um, in terms of uh, helping helping clients uh, support those transactions on the buy side, do a little bit of sell side, uh, and then a lot of sort of, as you can imagine, in today's environment, um, there's a lot of carve outs and sort of interesting mergers happening. Um, so we help help our clients kind of navigate uh, how technology uh, should be used, how much they should be spending on technology um, throughout those uh sort of com complexities. Um, and, and to your point, when we think about growth, you know, in, in our space, growth is, has a lot to do with acquisitions um, and also uh, complexities around that. And so what we're helping sort of clients do and understand is uh, how do you navigate those things? How do you navigate them in a meaningful way? Um, and, you know, they can be very complex and difficult. Uh, and, and I think I've got my fair share of war stories, uh, as I'm sure you have, um, about what can go wrong uh, if you don't do it the right way. Yeah, yeah, and it's totally different mindset too when you think about growth and scaling. And it, certainly, if you're a large organization going out to acquire other companies, I mean, it's just a different level of maturity and capability you need to uh, to get there. And certainly, want to uh, get to that here in a second. Um, so, well, great. It's, it's good to good to have you on the show, and I'm excited for to get dive into some of these topics with you in a little bit more detail. Um, as we're getting started here, uh, one last request for the audience that's listening live. If you don't mind, just pop in the chat box where you're joining us from. What part of the world are you in? What city are you in? Um, typically, we have a pretty global audience, so it's always interesting to see what you know what regions of the world that everyone is, is joining us here today. And uh, I'll, I'll circle back to that here in a second and, and uh, let Mike know where all these people are, are joining from that, that we've got here on, on the line here. So I guess just to start, Mike, um, while we're waiting to hear where people are joining from, you know, what are some of the, if we sort of just set the context here of 
growth and scale and how IT and tech, the technology function within an organization can support that scale, or in some cases, as you mentioned, it might undermine that ability to scale. What are some of the biggest challenges that you see that IT departments have when they're scaling for growth, whether it's you know, M&A related growth or even organic growth? I, I imagine there's some differences, but there's also probably quite a few similarities as well. Sure. So, you know, in a lot of cases, um, the first person that's asking us um, about those questions are uh, typically sort of our, our financial sponsors who are usually private equity firms. Um, and, and I think it's important just context one from our experience, but then how that sort of the translate down into um, the, the companies themselves and the portfolio companies or a company that's potentially being acquired. Um, what there's sort of the, the big question says, can can the system scale? Right. And, and I think what we often have to do is sort of parse what that actually means. Um, I think when the technologist in me says, can the thing scale? I think we'll just throw more hardware at it. Right. Um, and, I, and I think the reality is actually um, it's a lot, obviously a lot more nuanced than that. Um, and I think that's that's really the important part, I think, to get right before even talking about, like, what are the challenges? Um, and so because the challenges become very obvious when you when you start to think about what does scale actually mean? Um, one one big thing I think that we we often find um, are like historic legacy systems um, and, and I would say more more categorically known as call it technical debt is always a, a serious concern to, to scale. Um, that's a pretty obvious one just because it's when you see it, um, you know that it can present a situation. And I think to get more sort of technical on those things is what we'll often find is that there's paradigms that may have been used 30 years ago um, that no longer are needed or no longer have advantages to them. And so because the environment has changed, then therefore the scaling becomes a challenge. Um, I think one of the biggest areas there and has been talked about for 60 years probably is integration. Um, you know, the ability to integrate into other systems or have other systems integrate back into your systems becomes incredibly important um, because what ends up happening is you want to have that flexibility and agility. And if you talk to any of these companies, you talk to the business people and then you talk to the IT people, there's always incongruence between the two because the IT people you know, want to have control and they want to have sort of steady rates of, of how things get adopted. And the business just wants to get the business done in the most efficient way possible without, you know, discerning between business processes and whatnot. So um, integration becomes a huge point of, of contention, but also a huge point of how do you scale the system? Um, another thing that we see often, especially in acquisitions, is you're, we're starting to see more and more companies acquire more tangential businesses, meaning not just consolidation of industries, but uh, actual um, going into other markets. So a very classic example is you you have sort of the um, wholesaler, distributor, retailer uh, function that's in some cases being um, completely vertically integrated now. And in that case, you now look at IT and you might have a distribution system that's set up in a way for a distributor. And now they want to sell online, for example, and become much more like a retailer and get more margin. Um, all of a sudden now they can't get their inventory you know, values out. And in fact, we've seen this, it's, it's in some ways I would say crazy, but I'm sure there's some audience members that can relate to this is, you know, having to manually take e-commerce orders and then punch them into an ERP system. 
Um, and so all of a sudden now the system that didn't even know what e-commerce was because they implemented it 20 years. And even if they upgraded the system, it may even have, it may have that in, uh, sort of integration point, but it doesn't have that built in all of a sudden now has to adapt to the changing environment. So, um, I think th like those are some really common things that we see that it's not even just a, um, Hey, can the system technically take more load? It's actually the environment changed and now we need to adapt to that environment and our system can't adapt to that environment. Yeah. Yeah. You, you probably remember the days too. I, I think we started our careers around the same time, but uh, you probably remember the days where scalability meant, can we ha handle the transaction? Yeah. <laughs> and you would actually evaluate that, you know, as part of our ERP evaluations way back when you'd say, Hey, can, can, a can this system a handle, you know, 10,000 sales orders a month or whatever the number is. And now that's not really as much of an issue as what you're talking about, which is more of the general capabilities and, you know, are those capabilities keeping up with the changing aspect of your business? Right. Um, and along those lines, are you, are you seeing with some of this M&A work you're doing and some of these, you know, you guys are seeing pretty, I'd say pretty dramatic or uh, extreme growth situations, you know, because there's an injection of capital of some sort or an acquisition, or in some cases a carve out, or, you know, there's just a lot of change or turmoil for better or for worse in those those situations but are you seeing that that's been accelerated with just the current environment that we're in i know you and i were talking before we went live here a little bit about how you know the the market's going crazy on the m a side and there's just a lot of acquisitions happening but what, tell us maybe a little bit about what you're seeing there in the market in general yeah i mean look uh the two two factors um one uh desire to grow which is always a factor um but i think that is being there's being pressure because you have um, if you look at public markets, right, because everything kind of derives from public markets. Right. And so where's where is all where is all the growth happening? Um, and, and I'm saying this from a sort of non COVID perspective. Right. Well, this was this trend was happening anyway, even before COVID, where um, software companies were becoming kind of much more commonplace because they were actually producing financials. Um, and then going public and people are realizing that these companies are actually really printing cash. And so now you've, you've, you had this whole sector of people that were, were chasing those deals. And now they're saying to the sort of more traditional, let's call it the, I don't know, the G's and the Walmarts of the world, um, saying, Hey, you guys got to go compete with these guys because, um, if I'm going to put my dollar into a, a company today an investment, I want it to double instead of just going at, you know, eight to 10% a year. Um, and even, even if that is the case, it's everything has been more attracted towards, towards those investments. So um, what's happening, I think is there's pressure to, to grow um, and, and to find ways to grow and, and all that growth is in technology. Um, and then two, which is another huge factor, regardless of, even if that was this, the first part was true uh, is we're just, the, the market's flush with capital right now. So, um, you know, the, companies have capital to spend and they and the investors are telling them they need to spend it, um, which is wise. Uh, and so one way to do that is to go acquire businesses. And so um, we're just in an incredibly um, I don't even know if lucrative is the right word to use it just but uh, but there's a lot of activity done in in this space. Um, and which is driving that and and people are trying to diversify products and services. And so um, ultimately, what that leads to is acquisitions of companies and then now what is becoming uh, much more um, salient for for a salient point for us is 
uh, how do you then deal with that from a, from a technology perspective? So even if it isn't sort of um, investing in uh, new technology and services, and it's just purely about buying other companies, well, uh, there's a huge technology component that comes into integration between companies. And ultimately that comes down to operations and ultimate operations, um, you know, as seems pretty obvious, but uh, once the businesses are under one sort of roof, um, there's, you know, some serious uh, uh, synergies to be to be had by having everything controlled from one one space. Uh, not everybody does it that way uh, based on how they want to do it. But, uh, you know, as a general rule of thumb is, is you can see some advantages there. So, you know, what we see a lot is, OK, we bought this company um, in order to grow. And so growth no longer means growing by just selling more widgets. It's about acquiring the business. But now we have to go do this whole effort in order to get systems consolidated so that I can take advantage of why part, partly why I would even buy this business for the crazy multiples that I'm, I'm paying today. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and it's an interesting time, I think in general, not just for M&A, but if you just look back up and look at the corporate world in general and the level of disruption that's happening. And when I say disruption, that's not necessarily good or bad. It's just change basically. But you look at what you're talking about, which is all this M&A activity happening and that, forces a certain amount of change on organizations. And then even for organizations that aren't going through MA, you've got supply chain bottlenecks and disruptions. You have changing consumer demand. You mentioned retail and how now all of a sudden companies are sort of being forced into an e-commerce model that they weren't prepared for and their systems weren't built for. And they're kind of forcing that that change is being forced upon them. So it's a, it's a really interesting time in the industry. I don't recall anything quite as turmoil based or, or disruptive as the time we're in right now in my career, at least. I don't know about you. Yeah. I mean, well, the funny one too, is a lot of these trends were already happening and then they all got accelerated last year. I think yeah. I forget if, I, I don't know if, uh, I feel like you guys sent this or somebody sent this to me or I saw it. Um, there was a little infographic and it had two bars and it said, uh, what change is driving my digital transformation? And it was like 15% came from the CIO and then 85% came from COVID. Right. Um, and so it was, and, and, and what was it, you know, it, it's obviously, it's, it's sort of just a, a light touch joke about how, um, what impact that's had. But, but I think it actually, what, what really it speaks to is the reality of business, which is um, for the longest time, and, and I'm sure you've probably, you probably have uh, hundreds, if not thousands of, of pieces of content that talk about this, but, you know, the word digital transformation has been, been used for the last 15 years. And all of a sudden, you know, in the last 18 months, it was like, it's, if you're a CIO and you didn't do anything, um, I mean, you'd lose your job. Whereas actually you'd lose your job if you try to go do a digital transformation project and it didn't work. Um, yeah. And so that was the risk. And now the, ri now the risk has turned over to, I, I, I simply can't not do something um, uh, type of thing. So, um, I, you know, and I think that, that to me is what has, uh, well, that, that's driving a lot of reaction, um, which was the trends were already there. It's not like, it's not as if companies said, well, this whole remote working thing's not going to work. It was just, we don't know if we can succeed right now. Um, and obviously the environment has now pushed that. And that's, you know, that, it's interesting. It's one of the things we talk about in software development is uh, a lot of companies say they'll build something in software and say, well, it's done, right? There's nothing more I need to do. And it's like, well, sure. Even if you feel like your feature complete, 
software is, is a never ending story because the environment will eventually change at some point. Um, the word entropy is talks about the environment changing and therefore whatever you're, the substance you're talking about starts to degrade because the environment degrades, not the actual substance, substance itself. Um, and that's so true in, in the IT environment um, is that this change, this environment is going to change. You know, today it's mobile phones. Well, maybe in 20 years, I, I'm, I'm somewhat bearish on VR, but let's say it's VR. Um, we need to, you know, your system needs to be able to adapt to um, that changing environment. Right. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. This next question I have for you, you, you alluded a little bit to earlier when you were talking about the a sort of myopic view of IT and looking at hardware. I think that's one of the first things you mentioned is like the technologist in you, you said would typically kind of start off by looking at the hardware, but then obviously there's a lot more to it than, than just hardware when you think about how to scale an organization. But what are, when you think about the ways that, or the things that are required to scale an organization for growth and the ways that IT needs to support that growth, what are some of the things that executives and CIOs are most likely to overlook or that you most commonly see them not really thinking about when it comes to scaling? The, the basics. Honestly, I mean, it is it is it is shocking. Um, I, I'm still surprised today just to see um, how many of the basics just get overlooked. And like I'm talking about basic things like backups and recovery and 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 and, and to be to be fair, I, I think the reason that it's a challenge is because what is going back to the point before is that the environment has changed, right? So even if you traditionally, you had an ERP system that might've been installed, um, you know, on premise and that's fine. And you're backing that system up. Well, I don't know. There, there may have something, something changed like that. And that is now hosted in a, um, in a data center. You might've moved to a colo or even in the cloud provider. Um, and you just, you know, as part of that process, never really thought about backups. And I know that sounds sort of basic, um, to, to some of our audience, but at the same time, um, it's, I'm always shocked to see how much that's over overlooked and then what that looks like then from a, and, and, and so this, this is where the challenge to scale becomes, um, uh, sort of a factor is because oftentimes it, then we look almost myopically to say, Hey, I want to be able to scale this system technically, cause I got to go add 500 users. And so then I just moved to a cloud provider and now all of a sudden the cloud provider, you know, they've got a backup strategy that comes in that. Um, and so, you don't, and now it's a new territory. And, and I think that's often what happens is trying to translate what we've learned in the nineties about in the eighties and from like mainframes, three tier architectures, we put all these processes, these procedures in place. And all of a sudden it's like, um, it, 
I shouldn't say it this way, but it's the, 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 the reaction that when I see it is like, it's like you guys forgot about the basics, but I understand why it's happened. It's because the need to be able to scale those systems because they, they put it into a different paradigm. And so therefore trying to translate what you've traditionally done into those new environments is not easy. I mean, if you look at AWS's product catalog, I think it's, it's, I forget what the number is now. It's, it's gotta be something like 120 services. So to, for if I, if I was a CIO and somebody was saying, hey, which service to use? I, I mean, I'd have the biggest blank stare ever, right? Um, and that was, if you looked at AWS maybe eight years ago, it was probably like 10. So um, I can certainly appreciate that when you do want to take on some of these new paradigms that the basics then start to change. So, you know, a CIO in today's world might be having consultants come in and say, you should containerize everything and it'll solve everything. And it's like, what the heck is a container? And so, the, and, and, and now does a container need a backup and like all these types of things, right? So um, I can certainly empathize with a lot of um, people in these positions because yes, there is advantages to moving to some of these things, but oftentimes um, it, it has to be done in a way that understands what scale is required for that specific situation, right? So we talked about this before already, which is, does scale mean I need more users on it? Does scale mean I'm going to change my business? Does scale mean I'm going to invest into things that will help me change my business in the future? Um, and I think that's where, I mean, we're, we, we do, I, at the end of the day, we're working on IT strategy and that's why IT strategy is so important and it's so important to get right um, and it starts with the business strategy. And so if the business strategy is done right, the IT strategy can be done right. And if it is done right, then the systems get done correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And making sure that the IT strategy is indeed supporting and aligned with that, that business strategy. Do you ever find that to be a challenge where at the corporate executive level, you've got sort of one vision and view of the world and whether it's an M&A event or just growth in general, but then your IT strategy sort of supporting that is just out of sync or they don't recognize the connection there. I, the, the most common problem I see there is that the IT doesn't even, they one are brought to the table um, for the business strategy discussion. What number one or number two, they don't seek it out. Um, and that's often, frankly, why we're asked to come in sometimes is because there is that mismatch. And so we're able to come in and say, here's what you guys need to do from an IT strategy perspective. Oh, by the way, in order for us to help you do that, we don't even want to talk, talk, talk technology until we talk business first. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting for sure. And just making sure you've got that all in sync is, is, uh, key. And that we see that a lot too, with our clients is just making sure either you have it at the table when you're talking about strategy or at the very least, uh, a second best, but less desirable option is that just make sure that it strategy gets aligned with the, with the business strategy and the overall executive strategy. Um, what about, uh, the people side of things? So when you think about just human behavior, organizational change, how does that factor into building stronger IT capabilities to help scale and fuel growth? Yeah, I think, um, so there's two, two common things that I see. So from an executive standpoint, um, there are two types of, I would call it personas that we see um, at the IT management level. Um, there are people who are very good at vision and strategy, and there's very people that are very good at um, execution. Um, and so, from the management layer, from an org perspective, 
uh, being able to do both of those is incredibly um, sort of attractive from the rest of the sort of financial sponsor board level uh, type of people. Um, so being able to do both of those is incredibly um, important. And that goes back to exactly the point I just made, which is um, those types of people are able to understand and be part of a business strategy discussion and then translate that. Um, and then once they, they've done that, actually go execute it. So, I, you know, we've certainly seen companies where a CIO or a CTO has very lofty goals. And then you when they go to do pen to paper, it's it's sort of not there. So um, and I think, you know, from a skill set standpoint, that's probably one of the biggest themes that we see um, day to day type of operations. Um, we're starting to see, I think, a lot more. And I would say situations where IT is much more sort of back office related. Um, I think a lot of the day-to-day -day IT activities are being outsourced to to, to manage service providers, which to, to be honest is I think actually a pretty good strategy just as a general, you know, it's a, it has to fit the organization. The challenge that we then see is, because um, the point in all doing all that is, is standardizing processes. And so what that means then for changing organizations is how do you move um, some of that, some of the sort of day-to-day -day activities over to a managed service provider, um, and then have the organ, the IT organization focus on things that are much more strategic. Um, which is, I think, as a general principle, is is sort of a good, um, a good strategy. Obviously, yeah. some nuance depending on the situation. Um, and so, what ends up becoming actually more interesting then for a lot of management teams who then have who are still doing day-to-day -day activities for the business is then understanding how to do partner management. And so oftentimes what we see is we see using a managed service provider just as thought as a panacea to go solve IT issues. But what ends up, ends up happening is that MSP might go and say, oh yeah, we do your security for you, or we ensure that everybody's on updated systems. And then you go and you see an audit and it's like, well, 10% of the organization is still on Windows XP. And you guys know that there's a security issue with that. Well, the MSP has no incentive to go and update that. So I think that's where some of the challenge that we've seen a lot is not even just like, hey, we need to go outsource this because it's cheaper, but just outsource this because it's less strategic. And then having the IT organization be focusing on those much more strategic initiatives. The problem is, and it goes back to what I said before, is that then they lose the basics, right? It's like, yeah, well, we we had this MSP go and check this for us, and they're making sure that all of our systems are on the latest version of Windows. Well, sure. Well, what ends up happening? What ended up happening was they just gave you the report that said that ten percent of your organization is on XP, but nobody's actually ex executing on that. Um, and so uh, that's where partner management becomes a lot more important for those organizations. And so um, the skill sets are becoming around partner management, and then you're getting a, a big explosive growth in the whole MSP sort of space, which is, look, I just need to be able to do help desk type stuff. I don't want to manage it internally. I want to be more strategic about technology. So is that desire to outsource certain parts of IT, is that pretty, pretty common or, or pretty widespread with the, the clients you work with? Um, yeah. I mean, well, I, I don't, so, so outsource, first of all, I feel like outsource gets a, a, a bad rap, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, 30, 25 years ago, let's say it was like everything was outsourcing, outsourcing, right? Let's go, yeah. let's go build the largest team possible in, um, in China or India or wherever. 
uh, as quickly as possible and do it for as cheap as possible because IT is not a strategic function. And if you remember, if we remember those conversations, right, um, it's really interesting to think about them now because it's almost done a complete flip, which is it's like, well, technology now has to be strategic. And I think this is to me is probably the one is the, the biggest challenges for most organizations is being able to discern between what parts of IT functions are strategic and which is sort of day to day business as usual, keep the lights on type of thing. Um, and so to me, that that's that's where it becomes incredibly important. Yeah. And certainly if you're using cloud technologies or, uh, you know, other types of things that lend themselves, it, that sort of by definition is going to be more of a call it an outsourced model, even though that may not be the intent, you're you're inherently shifting some of that maintenance and break fix type stuff over to an outside vendor or an MSP um, in that way. So, yeah. That's a, well, and, and it's exactly the point um, we talked about before. Like, I mean, almost it's there's almost a PhD required just to understand what every AWS service does, right? And so it's like asking somebody to go and say, "Hey, we're going to go migrate my whole data center over to Amazon Web Services," um, <laughs> and and just to do a lift and shift. Actually, economically, that usually doesn't make any sense to go do that. But we see a lot of companies do it. It then becomes, well, how do I take advantage of this new web service that AWS just came out with? And just having, just being able to navigate that alone requires almost like a full-time resource. So I think that's that's where it starts to change a little bit and the expertise is, is changing. Um, but this is, frankly, this is no different, you know, 20, 30 years ago when somebody said, I need to go stand up a data center somewhere. And you're like, I don't know what a data center is, but I know that I don't want to have this server in my in my office anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The, the way you frame a lot of this in the context of how a lot of this isn't new, you know, it's just a lot of this is being accelerated. I think is one of the comments you made that, you know, a lot of the stuff was brewing or percolating under the surface or was starting right. to pick up momentum and then COVID hits and, you know, so suddenly a bunch of M&A activity happens. A lot of stuff is sort of speeding this up or adding fuel to the fire in a lot of ways. Yep. Now, what about, um, what about cybersecurity is, you know, how does that, how are you seeing cybersecurity fit into um, just scaling IT organizations? And especially recently, it seems like that's another area that's really picking up steam and picking up a sense of urgency is making sure you lock down your systems when you have, you know, U.S. pipelines being hacked and supply chain related organizations being hacked and a lot of, a lot of that stuff happening throughout the world. How is that factoring into scaling an IT organization? Um, if anything, it's slowing it. Um, and so what, what's what's interesting is there, there's actually a really good um, sort of conversation about this, which is uh, security is at the antithesis of um, uh, accessibility. And so what that means in, in practice is that when you look at organizations who are trying to go and digitally transform or trying to scale their systems, um, what is increasingly becoming an issue is then how to um, secure those systems. So, um, and going back to that sort of accessibility versus security, what ends up happening is the more accessible you make a system, the le inherently the less secure it is. So, and then to put this even sort of more plainly, um, I've seen environments, for example, Fortune 500 companies who say, um, they have, they're like, look, we, we have this super secure financial information that only 10 people in the organization can, can view. Well, and, but we want to, to be hosted on the cloud. 
but yet that's sort of like against this idea like and and traditionally it was like literally they had the computer in a room and the only way you could access the computer it wasn't it wasn't connected to the internet was to be in that room and so now that's like that's obviously a challenge to scale which is you know the, the idea of having somebody to physically have to go into a, a computer room to access system um is is i mean it's it's almost childish when we when we say it today right um but there's an actual re, you know there might be an actual business reason for for that um that capability and so now we're saying well we want all the advantages of cloud and being able to just spin a server up and be able to jump into that and get the data you know when i'm sitting um on a beach in in mexico uh, but I also want to have all the security of lockdown um, that I had before. And so in some ways, every sort of like two steps that you take forward on progression of digital transformation, you almost inherently take a step backwards to go and ensure that it's secure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, some just like really simple, obvious things that we've seen uh, and probably the most classic one I've seen in the last couple of years is people who, you know, they migrate to AWS and they leave their, their AWS has a service called S3, which is stores um, sort of physical files. And uh, <laughs> one of the most common uh, issues with that is people just leave them open so that somebody can just go scan AWS and say, hey, you know, I don't know Home Depot has a bunch of files sitting there and they're not locked down. And it was used for an internal system that the system itself was locked down, but then the service that stores the the media uh, wasn't, and so somebody could just pull the sensitive information down. And like this was like this, so this is just a great example because S3 has like this; it's got petabytes of information in it. So even and even at a single client, they may even have up to terabytes of information stored on there. So all of a sudden we have this great service that like scales almost like infinitely um, now has like this just inherent like issue with it, which is like, it's sort of just open if you don't tell it, if you don't lock it down. So it's like, yes, on one hand, we have this new tool that gives us the scalability, but likewise, it just gave us this massive hole in our security um, capabilities. And so this is all going back to the point that I initially made, which is like, Security is at the as like is like the thing that tells you you can't scale anymore um, because it's just it it doesn't want you to scale because the easier it is to scale, um, the more prone and the the more attack vectors you're, you're opening yourself up to. That's super interesting. I never I never connected those dots before, and and it's also um, you know it's also potentially connecting the dots of just flexibility. You know, you see you talk you talk about scale and how to be secure, you're inherently creating sort of a tension between scale and security, but it's the same with flexibility. I would assume where if you want flexibility, whether you're growing or not, although chances are, you're probably growing. If you want that flexibility, um, it's going to be harder to have that sort of flexibility within your operations and your infrastructure at the same time you're tightening down security. Is that, would that apply there as well? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, and, and, and that's a little, I mean, in some ways, I'm, what I'm referring to is flexibility is synonymous with that yeah. scalability, right? So yeah. um, the ability to go and adapt your environment into the new environment of the world um, and having that flexibility and agility to do so, yeah, every, every step that you want to take towards doing that is 
having to be keep keeping in mind of of what security is. Interesting. A, a, a great example, if you're, if you're, if I don't know if you're aware, I mean, so Google, I think it was, I want to say almost five years ago now. Um, so the, like the traditional way of locking down a, a system and a corporate system was that it would just sat behind the firewall, right? So, and and the traditional view of, of security uh, or corporate security is corporate digital IT security was as long as it sits within the firewall, like nothing can get in, right? Or nothing can touch a system. And so Google, I think about five years ago, said, look, in order for our client or our, our employees to be able to work, like we don't really have a shield that sits around our corporate function anymore. So there's no action like you don't firewall in uh, if you're an employee at Google. You just you they rely on two factor authentication um, for their systems. And so you're just authenticated against your identity. Um, obviously, there's a little bit more more advanced components to that, but the point is, is you're not VPNing into the corporate land to then be able to access systems anymore. Um, now they might use VPN to whitelist themselves into certain systems, but uh, the point is, is that uh, that sort of traditionalist view is being changed, and now actually that is where some of the flexibility is. But <laughs> the complexity of that is incredible, and and you know only. A company like Google at this point um, uh, has been able to do that. Well, I shouldn't say the only. They're they're an organization that can do that because uh, of how they're set up. Interesting. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk, maybe hone in on this, this M&A concept a bit more, even though a lot of what we've been talking about has, has involved uh m a or or that's part of where the angle we've, we've come at it from um uh, that the question i had for you is uh what are some of the biggest challenges that we haven't already talked about when you're integrating it as part of a, a merger and acquisition integration so in other words company goes out company a goes out and acquires company b you've got two it departments now you've got to figure out how to put those two it departments and capabilities together what are some of the biggest challenges you see in, in trying to do that with, with some of these M&A situations? So a co couple of things. Um, just as a general one, I, I kind of alluded to this a little bit, uh, you know, technical debt and, and legacy technologies that um, are unsupported are very commonplace. We see that a lot. Uh, and so what ends up happening is, uh, let's say that there is a, a merger or an acquisition from a portfolio company or just you know, a corporate company that wants to acquire, if their systems, the parent company itself are not sort of up to par, um, and then they go and acquire and they're trying to consume something into theirs. So that's usually a challenge. 
Then the other challenge then is in they go look at the acquisition and they say, okay, look, these guys have a certain system. How do we then bring them under under our wing and under our kind of um, platform? Um, there, you mentioned about skill sets. So skill sets are always a challenge um, and understanding how you might be able to do that. I think what's been very interesting in my experience is that like somebody who might have been working as a CIO or IT manager, VPIT, whatever the, the title is, um, they may be very exceptional and very good at what they do in terms of that sort of strategy and execution. But when they then have to go and acquire another business and they've never actually been in that situation, it can be incredibly daunting um, and not for a lack of trying or skill set or whatever, but simply just because they haven't done it before. Um, and, and frankly, that's why consultants exist. And, and I, I, as a consultant myself, I'm actually very anti-consultant. Um, but this is actually one of these situations where if there's just so few people who actually have been in the trenches of an acquisition and then kind of gone through what the complications are, mm. that that expertise is incredibly val is incredibly valuable um, yeah. because uh, there's so much nuance that you that you have to like appreciate. And and at the end of the day, what ends up happening is you're really just deal dealing with like two organizations that are almost foreign to each other that then have to sort of come together and marry themselves up. And so if you're really good at being like, hey, I, know I can stand up an ERP system and I know how to talk to the business and blah, blah, blah. But if you don't know how to like bring another organization into yours and do that in a delicate way, but also a meaningful way, um, I mean, that that's that's not an easy task to do. So um, I, I think like th those are some of the biggest challenges. Security is like, I mean, by far the, the hardest one, I would say the most difficult. Um, everybody gets it wrong and and I, I don't blame them. I think it's because, uh, you know, you might have your corporate security set up in one way, you go and acquire another business and you realize they're their security is very lackluster and now you have to bring them under yours and you've just spent all these years and months trying to train your people how to do the right thing. And now you have this least common denominator that might be smaller, but that part gets attacked and it might have implications on you as an overall entity. So um, you now all of a sudden have to get that company up to speed. So there's just um, the complexities of it are, are not short. Um, and I think at the end of the day, you know, as human beings, especially in it, we always like to be more ambitious than we think or more confident about our capabilities. And I think it's, uh, it's a very difficult thing to do and getting beyond that sort of idea that, hey, this is, this is easy. We can just take the system and pull it on ours. I mean, it never, it always takes, you know, one and a half to two times as long and costs one and a half to two times as much. Yeah. Yeah. And I've read plenty of studies. I'm sure you're, you've seen the same ones about M&A integration success rates or failure <laughs> rates more specifically and how, what is it, 80% or so yeah. uh, fail in the integration efforts. And the same is true for digital transformations, by the way. But any sort of massive change like that, companies just don't have a good track record with. Yeah. Well, and, and, and my favorite thing to pose to everybody when, when those statistics come up is what's your definition of a success or a failure? Um, because yeah. nobody, ever, nobody ever really likes to talk about that. Um, right. And to me, actually, that is part of the reason why they, in, you know, statistically, let's say, get succeed or fail is because the definition of success never was was established to be, at the beginning. Um, a successful, for example, outcome for an acquisition might be that you're going to decommission the whole thing. 
um, because it doesn't make sense to continue to operate on a system that um, you know is not fit for purpose or is has technical debt or whatever. And so success might actually look like something very different. Um, whereas uh, if somebody wanted to go, well, let's say they integrated the system completely, it worked perfectly, um, but the business all of a sudden couldn't ship half their, you know, um, uh, products, let's say, um, you know, sure, it's successfully integrated and it's, you know, the company now is running on that system, but the business, let's say, took a 5% revenue hit or whatever. Yeah, that's not success to me. So I think that's, to me, actually, the, the biggest um, thing that is helpful going into those is, and this goes back to IT strategy, which all starts with what's the business strategy and M&A is no different is we you have to understand why you're actually acquiring the business and, and what it's going to mean for the business. And then IT can follow that story and, and support it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant comment. And I totally agree on the definition of success versus failure. I think that's where a lot of companies get tripped up and they focus so much on let's implement on time on budget and that's going to define success for us versus well, what was your overall value? What was your overall ROI? And I think if a lot of organizations were honest with themselves, I think a lot of companies that said they were successful or think they were successful in their transformations were would actually find that they they weren't successful because they left so much value on the table or they disrupted yep. the business more than they needed to. Failed to realize the opportunities or the the upside in a way they, they should have. So it's a it's a good point. What about um what about data? Is is data? Uh, I would imagine, and this is just based on you know we work with a lot of clients. A lot of them, a fair amount of them, are involved in some sort of M and A integration, or in the past they've been through an M and A integration, but a lot of them haven't been through that. But of the ones that we've worked with that have gone through that sort of integration, um, the data is a pretty big deal as far as just sort of cleaning it all up and reconciling master data and having a unified way of speaking for lack of a better word. Is that a big thing that you guys look at or a challenge that you see in these sorts of integrations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the end of the day, like one of the things I'll give you a great example. Like uh, we had a client that did a big software roll up and um it was interesting because they were like, oh, we're going to buy all these companies in this one space and, and they're sort of um, industry specific ERP systems. And and we're like, well, you know, why do you want to do that? And they said, well, we you know, were, were able to sort of realize some synergies by doing that um, and we can cross sell. It was one of the big was one of the big points. And so my sort of immediate reaction was, well, in order for you guys, in order for that sales team to be able to cross sale, they have to know who the other customers are and if there's any crossover of, of customers. And it was, it took them like two years to just even realize that like, you know, there was a, let's say they had 10 companies across the 10 companies, they shared like, you know, 15% of them all had common customers. Well, the reason that they, they, they were so challenged to be able to figure that out was because they didn't really actually have a definition of who their customer was. Um, and I know that sounds silly, but actually this is much more common than you think. And so when we then think about data and why data is so important is because in order to realize some of those objectives, in order to do a cross-sale opportunity, um, you know, so if, let's say my client is, um, I don't know, I'm going to pick up Walmart, right? Uh, and I've now have six companies that have software or that, that provide software. And I find out three of them are selling to Walmart. Well, um, you know, that fourth one, if I didn't know that and I could have cross sold it and I the sooner I was able to realize that, 
the sooner I'm able to actually realize uh, the value of, um, of the acquisition. And so um, one of the common terms that actually we is, is starting to be termed, I would say, in, in, in private equity and, and sort of advisory around private equity is this, this, this phrase called delivering deal value. And it seems really silly that consultants actually have to go out and, and tell people that are making acquisitions how to deliver, how to, to gain the value of the deal. But there's sort of two two issues with it. Sometimes uh, um, the, 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 the value of the deal doesn't really get understood at the beginning, which is one part of just digging in and being like, hey, there's a serious opportunity. By the way, the company you're buying has, is sitting on this treasure trove of data. And then two is actual execution of that and saying, okay, how do we actually take that data and harmonize it into our own? Well, I can tell you like nine times out of 10, the company that's doing the acquisition probably doesn't even have their data in a good enough format and situation and can't even define its own way of what revenue is or sales is. And again, it, it sort of goes back to a lot of basics. It's, it's unbelievable um, what advantages you can have by saying like, hey, look, I know what a customer is for us. I know what a sale is for us. And so when we go to look to acquire, I want to go and take those same metrics and we're going to actually impose our definitions with some thoughtful exercises, but impose our definitions so that when we do say, hey, how do we cross sell? I have the data there and then I can report on it and then I can make a decision to be able to actually realize some of that, that, um, that, that deal value essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so basic, but, but in some ways it's not. And it's, and it, yeah. it has such high value though, too. I mean, if you can get that part right in that situation, that, I mean, that, that has a huge amount of value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple more questions just in the, in the time we have with you here. Um, what about when it, when it comes to uh, just trends in the market, this is probably a good sort of a capstone question for you. When you, when you look at all the different trends in the market, and we've covered a lot of them here, we've talked about a little bit about cloud, we've talked about obviously M&A, uh, M&A activity picking up, that's sort of a, a general trend that's that's happening more and more. I know I, I alluded to supply chain uh, related issues, That that's another trend that may not be a good one, but it's a, a change in the industry as far as supply chain struggling right now with to keep up with demand. You have changing consumer behavior and changing demand for different types of products that's, that's changing. Well, you just look at overall trends across the board, you know, as it relates to IT capabilities and supporting growth of organizations. What are some of the the trends that aren't the coolest necessarily, but are the ones that are most relevant, you think, uh, to high growth organizations that you work with? Um, so what's interesting is uh, so th like business process automation has been talked about forever. Um, I think the modern version um, of business process automation is like, uh, I believe the, the name is now escaping me, but I think it's RPA, that's a robotic uh, process automation, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and what's really interesting about it, and, and I, I understand why it's trendy um, and, and can appreciate why organizations want to make those investments. And ultimately what it comes down to is that for a lot of organizations, there are repeatable tasks that happen day to day. And I think what is happening is we're starting to get a little bit more intelligent with actual software as opposed to just implementing software about how to take those repetitive processes and then either enable them or just purely automate them away. Um, and so 
like a lot of the RPA tools and stuff are quite interesting from that perspective is that is not only the actual ability to do some of it technically is super interesting, but I think it's what's even more interesting is being able to identify and understand what does a business process look like? And then how do I actually sort of automate that to the point where it's like, I don't, I shouldn't have to do the same thing, the same identical thing over and over again. Um, and I think that is, that is an area that um, we're starting to see is like, it's been talked about for a long time. Um, it is a little bit shiny, but I also think like people are ignoring just like the basic things of like, I've seen a lot of distribution and manufacturing companies who they get orders through an Excel file that gets sent over um, and an email. And yeah. so being able to like, and, and nobody likes to talk about this stuff because it's like actually a little bit difficult because that's still the way a lot of businesses operate. And so being able to sort of take that, um, uh, capability and then automate it, but still do it in a way that sort of like keeps that manual step there almost in a sense, because it's like, well, this part of the market still is doing this thing. Um, and so we just need to like have the technology adapt to it. Um, it's like less sexy, but it's actually like drives incredible amount of value, right? Yeah. Like I've actually thought about for the longest time, just like building a simple tool that just takes a, a, you know, an email inbox and then just scrapes the Excel file that comes in for order management and then just building an API out of it so that it can be sent to an ERP system. Um, because yeah. like I just see that all the time, right? And so it's just like stuff like that where um, it seems so simple, but it's actually simple because the process is simple, but nobody really wants to go and automate it away because the market's all saying like, hey, you need to be the next, you need to be like Google and, you know, have like everything done by AI. And it's like, well, AI is not going to solve that. Like this is something that is repetitive that you can just, um, you know, put a, put a simple process in. For. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget that there's oftentimes lower hanging fruit yeah. than going through an entire, and I know that technically is part of a digital transformation, what you just described. If, right. if you were to go in and create that app or build a application that could scrape that those incoming emails, create a customer order or sales order. Um, that is technically, I guess, somewhat of a digital transformation, but I think a lot of times companies get so enamored by, well, let's go, you know, switch everything in our organization over to the cloud. We're going to go with a single ERP system and we're going to, they don't say this or think this, but they throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, they're going to try and rip everything out and replace it all. Whereas, you know, sometimes we'll come in and say, well, do you really need to replace your system? Your vendors may be telling you you should because right. they want you to upgrade to their newest cloud solution or whatever. But what if you spend less money and got more value out of something like that? And I think a lot of organizations forget that, you know, sort of the easy answer, the easier answer, I should say. Yeah. And I think, I mean, look, as I said, I, I can empathize a lot with CIOs because they're, in fact, I've <laughs> a couple of the ones that I'm, I'm close with, you know, they're bombarded with emails from people selling them all these shiny new tools. And, and I, ha I have to kind of pause and, or have, you know, have the conversation with them to say, look, look, pause. It doesn't matter what this shiny new tool can do. It's what is the business problems that you guys have that you can actually put tools in for um, trying to go and launch an e-commerce site for a distributor is not is is a daunting task it's not easy um but finding areas you know as you said like quick wins um actually can be somewhat easy and what it can do then is provide a learning process for you to then enable other uh systems and processes that 
Um, you didn't think we were capable there. And then, by the way, if you want to go and launch the e-commerce project, it becomes that much easier because now you have a business and an IT organization that's enabled to actually successfully implement those projects. One, identify them, and then two, actually implement them. Right. Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, it build, builds that momentum. Not only do you get the immediate value of something like that, but yeah. it builds that momentum to where you could then start to get a little more confident, get your legs underneath you, and go start to tackle bigger more complex issues than that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good. Well, this is a, this has been a great discussion, Mike. Really appreciate you, you joining us on this uh, live stream and in, in the discussion here today. And uh, this is, this is really good stuff. And like I said, I think so much of what you've talked about, even the examples you gave related to M&A integration and more M&A specific activities or issues, I think so much of that can be applicable or should be lessons for small, mid-sized, high growth organizations that maybe aren't even thinking about M&A right now, but it could still, you know, a lot of those principles apply across the board. So I really appreciate some of the, the insights you shared here today. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for being here, Mike. That was a great discussion and there's a lot to unpack there. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Parisa and Kyler more about some of these themes that we heard here today. And also uh, later in the show, we're also going to have Nate's Shore from Third Stage Consulting is going to be talking about change management in more detail, so you don't want to miss that. So we'll be right back after a quick break. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. to Transformation Ground Control. We just had a discussion here with Mike Bisvina from Rena Partners talking about high growth situations and IT within those high growth situations, mergers and acquisitions. Covered a lot there in that, that conversation. What were some of your observations, Kyler? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously some great information and some great tactics. If you are going through any sort of transformation where you're combining two different companies, whether it's actual merger and acquisition, departments, anything that, that you can kind of um, take away there. I think it, it's a great um, partner piece of content to our new ERP due diligence reports for our private equity clients that we just finished a large white paper from our vice president of Europe, Stuart Robb. So we can go ahead and link that below. That's a free download. And then he's also going to be touching on a lot of this at our um, PE bootcamp in September as well that he's hosting with the private equity UK partnership that we have. So that reminded me a lot of kind of the the different pieces that we go through when advising clients, both big and small, that are going through any sort of transition in which they, they need to um, kind of combine or intertwine different cultures. But what, what about you, Parisa? What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think a great, lots of great resources. He made a lot of good points too that kind of made me stop and, and think about how, again, things are just changing so much. Uh, and to dive into a couple of those, I mean, the first one that stood out was kind of the comfort that we're finding ourselves in uh, because of technology. And he specifically alluded to CIOs and IT leaders not really thinking about the basics like like they once did. Uh, and he used the example of, of something as simple and straightforward as backups and recovery um, and how, you know, a lot of the partners that we bring on and a lot of the technologies that we bring on, you know, it's these pieces are, I guess, taken care of already. Everything's already, you know, accommodated to the point where you don't need to be thinking about the basics. And it it's true across everything. It's true across this scenario. It's true across, you know, how much technology is entering our day to day lives. Even it's not making us lazy per se, but kind of making us lazy. <laughs> so I don't know, it made me think, you know, obviously you wanna still keep those foundational elements top of mind, but is it necessarily a bad thing to, you know, give give that power, I guess, to, to the cloud technologies that you're bringing on or to the different partners that you're bringing on to take care of the little things for you so you can focus more big picture? Is it a bad thing? What would you say, Eric? I'd say it's mostly not a bad thing for, for most organizations. I, I think there's still a lot of trepidation or fear around that idea for that very reason, the way you described it, because I, I don't necessarily want to give up control. Um, and that's true for, I think, for a lot of leaders or CIOs that, that are managing this sort of change. But overall, I mean, I think most organizations that are not in the technology space would agree that their core competency is not, and maybe it shouldn't be, uh, IT and IC maintenance. Now, there's a fine line there because you don't want to outsource everything. There's certain there's certain ways that IT is sort of a commodity, uh, non I don't want to say non value add in, in a bad way, but it, it's just it's not your core competency. So you want to outsource that. That that's true for big parts of IT like backups and disaster recovering things like that. But in other ways, IT can be a strategic differentiator in a way that you may not want to outsource it or move it all to the cloud or use a generic system to manage your business uh, because that waters down your competitive advantage. So you look at an organization that, um, you know, maybe they, I think it's a combination of both. They might find some things they just want to outsource and get off their plate because it's not their core competency. It's not adding a ton of value. Someone else can do it better than you can as an organization. But then there's other things uh, that you want to refocus or redirect your time on that, that can be. And a lot of that's more application-based or more operational-based. You know, if we can create some competitive advantage with better technologies or something that is different or better than what our competitors and peers are using, then in that case, you may not want to move everything to the cloud or outsource it. You may want to actually have a tighter control over that. So I think it could be a combination of both, but the, there's certainly an opportunity there, though, to your point, to, to Mike's point, uh, to to reduce costs and, and sort of get rid of some of those non-competitive advantage types of things or not get rid of them, but get them off your plate. Right. So you can focus on kind of the I keep going back to the bigger picture pieces, but there's just so many other things that go into it. Uh, it makes sense. And you kind of mentioned it as well, but I mean, today business and IT, it's just so intertwined. You can't run a business without tech. I mean, there's like no going back at this point. We're only moving forward with how integrated technology is in any type of business, whether you're in retail or, you know, what have you. So. I guess my question is, have you seen 
any cases with clients where you come to the table and their business vision and their business strategy is not necessarily in alignment with their IT strategy. So for example, are they, you know, they have these big goals to reach target A, but their IT is, is either, you know, not appropriate for the trajectory that they want to go on or it's subpar or just something where those two um, strategies, business strategy and IT strategy are misaligned. Yeah, it's, a, it's extremely common and, uh, you know, more common than, than people probably realize. And, and if you think about the dynamic of how, how organizations get misaligned between their business strategy and their IT strategy and the way they run IT, it's, you know, a lot of times that people don't see that there's a direct connection there, there should be a direct connection, or at the very least, you should recognize that even if you don't deliberately try to connect the two, you have to recognize that if you don't connect the two, one can undermine the other. Um, so a lot of times what happens is you get a CIO or IT director that'll come in to, to an organization, they come in new, and they've got a vision of what they think IT should be. And they might have a vision of say, you know, going with your example before, let's move everything to the cloud, let's use, you know, best in class, uh, vanilla software off the shelf, you know, that because that's maybe the way they grew up, or that's just their philosophy of, of how to run IT. And that's not necessarily good or bad, just on the surface. But if they're going into an organization that is super flexible and entrepreneurial and they value speed and being nimble and being able to react quickly, um, that doesn't necessarily fit well with this whole idea of just push everything to the cloud and um, use vanilla software off the shelf. You know, you, you, you sort of have to know where to where to bend a little bit or where to take that, in that example, take that IT strategy and, and mold it to the business strategy rather than the other way around. Because what ends up happening otherwise is the IT guy or gal comes in, goes with their philosophy of what they think the world of IT should look like, and it somehow undermines or holds back the ability to achieve the business strategy. And that's extremely common. And that's what we, uh, again, back to my point earlier about how everything I talk about usually will somehow come back to change management. Um, that's how, that's what we call misalignment. You know, when you have misalignment within an organization, that's a change management issue. And that's something that ultimately you want to make sure you, you hire people that are aligned and have the same vision and, and can kind of head in that same direction, but inevitably people get misaligned because we're all different. So it's a matter of making sure from a change management perspective, we address that misalignment to get people as close together or rowing in the same direction as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to build on that, we had a great presentation that I learned a lot um, from our business ops consultants at Third Stage that talked about our clients asked a lot of times, like, who should be on our ERP core team? You know, and a lot of times they see that as just a technical aspect. Um, but when, you know, our our clients come to us and ask that, we often say, you know, you need someone from your sales team, you need someone from your accounting team, you know, to really see the full lens of the overall business because it is a true transition for the organization. Um, and then I also learned a lot about how important they are to include in testing. And we actually heard that from Marcus Harris, who is um, an, an attorney that specializes in the ERP failures um, when they do get to you know, that, that terrible place of litigation, but the fact of how important it is to test across the business um, and not just with your IT sector. Yeah, this end-to-end -end testing and making sure that it's all cross-departmentally. I mean, everything that your ERP or any new software is touching should be tested. That is 
I feel like from what I've heard, a key to making sure it works before go live. Yeah. And so important for your vendor contracting, right? Which Marcus brought up a great point about when you are, you know, going through this with either your vendor or your system integrator and including that in the actual contracting. So if God forbid anything were to go wrong, that was a huge place in which they always found holes um, in that actual contracting piece. And I never really thought about how important that was from um, a business transformation. I always assumed, you know, ERP, IT project, you know, maybe a few other people would need to be involved in the conversation, but that's truly not the case. Um, yeah, Marcus is a genius. We should have him back on the show. He was on our he was on our episodes of I think it was the earlier episodes, right, Eric? Yeah, it was like the second days. episode and maybe the fifth one or something like that is early on. But I do have it on our on our to do list to reach out and bring it back on the show because it has it always has something new to share and different perspectives on different situations. Yeah, and it's important stuff. I mean, how you start a project and how you protect yourself against these big big players. I mean can make or break your, your situation. So um, another thing too that that stood out to me with with Mike's conversation is cybersecurity. And I'm just fascinated by cybersecurity, especially in this day and age, because I just feel the rate of technology growing versus how quickly we are adapting to these cyber threats all around us. I, it's just, it's so important. And the, the conversation specifically around scaling your business and scaling your systems um, as it relates to growing your business, I mean, it sounds like you are kind of, you give and take a little bit. The more you grow, the more accessible you need to make your systems, but the more accessible you make your systems, the less secure it becomes. You know, he made the great point of, you can be super secure and have a computer room and go to that specific computer room and only 10 people on your team can log in in that room um, and you'll be super secure. But who wants to do that, especially in a world of remote workers, right? I mean, 2020 was a huge catalyst for pushing the workforce remote. So if you want that flexibility and ambiguity, you got to give or take a little bit. So there's a trade-off happening. Um, with just how how much the workforce is changing and, and the rate of remote work, and then inherently security is going to decrease. So I guess is there a way to do this without having a give and take? Can you can you still be flexible and and scale your systems without compromising security? I, you know I don't know that that was anytime we do these interviews. There's always I, I love doing the interviews because there's always something new you learn and. And, and whatnot. There's always some eye-opening points in it, every conversation we have in these in these podcasts, in these interviews. But that was one of the more big, the bigger ones that I've I feel like it sort of hit me in the head. Like, wow, how did I never connect the dots between those two? That comment you just made, I, it, that never occurred to me in my entire career. So that was a pretty eye-opening moment to hear him say that. And it makes so much sense. I mean, as he said, I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit, by the way, of, of really any decision, any major decision you have to make. Even outside of digital transformation, if you just back up and look at uh, running a business or if you're an executive that has an executive team that you're managing, or if you're any sort of leader, you've got different people with different perspectives, different skill sets, and they all, you know, a lot of people are going to have different perspectives of in my little area, my domain, this is what we should do. And then someone else, you know, the two of you might have a totally different perspective based on your domain. And if I'm a leader, I've got to decide, well, okay, I'm getting three different data points here and three different 
you know, sets of pros and cons. And I've got to decide what the right answer is. And they don't necessarily, you know, none of them are right or wrong necessarily, but I've got to balance that out. So I think that's true here with the whole cybersecurity versus um, flexibility and openness sort of trade-off. Um, that's just a one more trade-off that we have to manage or figure out where we're going to fall. Um, because I think in today's day and age, it's really easy to default to, uh, and I tend to think this way too, and that's why I think I didn't connect the dots, is I, you tend to default to, well, cybersecurity, cybersecurity is becoming more and more of a threat, especially since COVID has become more of a threat. We had Daryl Crockett on a few episodes ago, uh, early in, this, in the uh, inception of the show, she talked a lot about cybersecurity, how important it is. And I think we all agree on that, but, but it's easy to default to, let's just lock everything down. Let's just get cybersecurity as tightened up as we can without really thinking about, well, what's the trade-off there? And it's just like any, any decision during a transformation or when you're defining your digital strategy, there's always trade-offs, there's always pros and cons, and you've got to figure out what makes sense for your organization and what your priorities are. And it may be that if you're a government institution or a banking institution or some other uh, organization that has extremely sensitive, high value information, uh, it may be that, yes, cybersecurity is a number one or, or a very high priority, and you're going to sort of defer to cybersecurity, and you're going to make the compromises you need to make as an organization to allow that or enable that. But if you're a super entrepreneurial company, you're growing really fast, maybe, I mean, cybersecurity is always a risk, but maybe it's not as much of a risk for that sort of startup as it might be for a bank or a government institution. Not that you totally set aside cybersecurity, but maybe you do it smartly, but you also don't do it to the point where you might slow down or undermine the other priorities you have. So I don't know that there is a way to do that. I mean, just based on that discussion with Mike and also just based on the fact that, like I said, transformations have so many different trade-offs that can't coexist necessarily. You have to decide one or the other or decide where on a spectrum you're going to fall. I figure, I, I feel like this is just one more that falls into that bucket of trade-offs we've got to make. So I don't think there is an easy, you know, either or sort of answer. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like you hit the nail on the head. It would just be prioritizing, you know, depending on, on what you do and who you are as a company. Um, and that would define where you fall on the scale. That's interesting to think about though, because it totally makes sense. It's very, um, like after he said it, it was a, it was a common sense nugget right but it, it was the same reaction for me i was i was kind of taken aback like wow that's interesting it's just another thing you have to be mindful of as you scale yep and then another thing too um i mean i remember a few episodes ago eric we were talking about a specific client um i think they were in dubai uh that was acquiring companies left and right and in those situations, I mean, you're acquiring companies and you're also acquiring different systems, right? That's just, it just comes with the territory. So when you have one company that's say on like MD365 and one company that's using Oracle and one company that's using SAP, like how do you decide, first of all, which system should be the parent system? Um, and then where do you go from there? I mean, can you operate when all these different companies are on different systems or should the end goal be bring everybody onto the same system so everything can be a little bit more seamless? Yeah, that one, you know, that's a age old question. I don't think that, I don't think that debate's ever going to get settled anytime soon uh, because I think I could argue both sides of that. I, I think the, I think there's a common misunderstanding or misperception, misconception that uh, an organization like that should consolidate their systems. But I don't know that that's necessarily true. We have a lot of clients where they intentionally don't consolidate all their systems because 
it's not the end of the world. If you have multiple systems, okay, that's, that's not terrible. I'm sure it creates some pain and every organization that has multiple systems has their own challenges trying to integrate and trying to manage data and trying to act like one company. But if you're a semi-decentralized company or you're a diversified company and you, and, or you have uh, different parts of the organization that intentionally are operating differently because you want to be closer to the customer or you want to be regionalized or localized to wherever they're operating, then it may not make sense to consolidate onto one system. It may be okay to have multiple systems um, because either way, no matter what you do, you're still going to have a lot of challenges. You have to deal with a lot of risk that you're just trading off one for the other. If you go to one single system, that may sound great, but now all of a sudden you're, yes, you maybe you've created a more common operating model. You've uh, consolidated your data. You've consolidated your IT spend. That's all great. But now you put all this pressure on the operations of the organization that may create more risk than you've fixed by consolidating system. Because now you've, you know, maybe you're watering down or undermining all the stuff that has made you successful as an organization. And now you can't respond as quickly as you used to, or, you know, you can't meet some of those specific business requirements that you have throughout the organization. So you just have to really make sure you go in and understand that no matter which one you do, which path you take, you just have to understand where the blind spots are, what the dark side of that path is, because there are going to be big risks. So I don't have, I honestly don't have a strong preference. I, I usually don't go into clients and, not, and neither does our team. We don't really, we don't really care what direction a company goes and we don't really think that there is a best answer, but there usually is a best answer for any individual organization. And that's the key is what, what makes the most sense for you. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to that that change management um, plan, right? In going into, all right, how is this actually affecting our culture? Not only have we acquired this company, we've changed, you know, hierarchy in the company, we've changed jobs, and now we're going to go in and change the system. Um, and how will that kind of create that shock factor, which affects the ROI and disruption in the overall business processes? Um, so. I think that kind of goes back to how do you create this awareness, um, which having a partner like Third Stage or, um, you know, someone that can help you pull out these red flag areas to say this is something that you should consider, I think is incredibly valuable to just having that expertise when you go through this because it can cost a lot of money to overhaul an entire system when you just bought the company and then you know, training and how are you going to make sure that that is implemented successfully um, is a, a humongous task. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Either way, I mean, change change management and how you bring this all together is, is absolutely critical. I agree with that. And how does, I mean, tell me a little bit about what our team does, Eric, with with specifically mergers and acquisitions. How do we guide companies as they acquire new companies and scale in this fashion yeah so so usually we're we get involved as the integration is happening you know the reason i enjoyed having mike on the show is because they he's usually going in more from the, the due diligence perspective early on and you know not that that's the only time he gets involved but they, they're seeing more of the the pre m a uh, side of it than, than we typically do um, so when we go in, usually it's more from the perspective of we've already acquired these other companies and, or we've already grown to a certain point. Now we've got to figure out how we're going to bring this all together. So generally what we do is not too dissimilar to what we would do with a company that hasn't gone through an MA, which is, first of all, defining what is that overall strategic direction of the organization and how does that translate into what, what the potential transformation might look like. And then once you get into the actual transformation, that's where you start to look at you know, what are the different operating models that you have? What's the inventory of the current state? 
um, and where are the pain points, where are the strengths, where are the opportunities for improvement, and ultimately, what do we want to be when we grow up operationally, and how do we want those processes to work in the future? So that's the you know one of the first pieces is that operational piece, and then you do the same thing with the technology landscape. You look at all the systems you have. What do you what do you want to keep? What are the strong systems that make sense to keep? What are the ones you want to get rid of or consolidate or whatever? And then there's the other component, major component, which is the organizational assessment, looking at what would all these different organizations look like? How are you going to consolidate or create, you know, common roles and responsibilities or, you know, that organizational design type stuff. And then I'd say maybe a fourth one or one of the four big ones that we look at in terms of the work streams or buckets is on the, uh, the data and reporting side of it. So what are we going to do with all these sources of data? How can we bring it all together? What's the business intelligence strategy? Um, that's usually even more important for a company that's gone through a merger and acquisition because usually they have such disparate uh, data and information. They're trying to figure out how to pull it all together. And usually when there's a PE firm involved or when you've got a new parent that's just acquired you, there's more pressure now to produce results and improve results, improve value. So there's more eyes and ears on the on the data or the you know the business value that's being created. So that data and reporting becomes even more important to those organizations. So those are like the four big areas that we assess. And then from there, you figure out what's the roadmap forward based on whatever the assessment shows and whatever direction we want to go strategically. It all comes back to change management. <laughs> yeah. And Eric, I know you go into great detail on M&As in your YouTube videos. So if anyone in the audience is looking for more information on on those, um, feel free to check out Eric's YouTube channel or the Third Stage YouTube channel. Um, we have content regarding mergers and acquisition on both. Yeah, yeah, good point. It's an interesting topic for sure. And again, it's even, I think the M&A stuff is relevant, certainly for PE firms and companies that have actually been through M&As, it's absolutely relevant. But even for organizations that aren't, they're just growing or they're just trying to figure out how to scale. If you could, you can take a lot of those principles and best practices from M&A situations and apply it to really any organization. I, that's why I like studying it and focusing on it so much because it applies to so many different organizations that even the ones that aren't going through M&A. Yeah, that's a really good point. Right. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, tuning into Nate's presentation too. At, at, was it full throttle or digital stratosphere? Uh, actually, I don't recall. Which which session was this? Do you remember? This was, was digital this? stratosphere. Yeah, but he recently did full throttle where he um, moderated a panel. So definitely go check that out on our YouTube page too because he had all of our change management specialists. So we, we interviewed Teresa and um, Julia on our change team as well. So a great piece to kind of follow up as homework to this one too. Yeah, yeah. that was a good question as well. Lots of events, lots of content. Um, and this one was a really good segment too that just kind of elaborates on the importance of managing people and managing change, especially during a transformation. So I know that he's going to cover a lot of what we're talking about here, even in more detail. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And, and really, the reason I wanted to show this clip at the end was so that I could prove to you, Parisa, that everything does come back to change management. And we're <laughs> finish, it, finish off the episode with this change management clip. <laughs> but it, it was a great session, though, and I look forward to it. It's a, a presentation he gave at that event, and uh, I think it's worth worth playing here uh, in today's session, So or in today's podcast. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll play you that clip and then we'll, we'll come back after that and we'll, we'll debrief and talk more about some of the uh, findings from that discussion. So we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Patrol.
aiming for transformation success, turn a third stage consulting group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. Glad you could be here today. Thanks for listening in. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms as well as YouTube, so be sure to check out past episodes if you haven't already. And be sure to subscribe, share this with friends and colleagues. We'd love to get the word out and get this information and content out to more people. So our final guest on today's show is uh, Nate Stroer. We're actually going to play you a clip from a previous event that we hosted where Nate gives a presentation talking about change management, best practices and strategies and, and frameworks that can be used to help manage change. And it's just a good, we've covered a lot of change management stuff on, on the show in the past, but this is a good structured discussion around how change management can be deployed to, to different organizations as part of their transformation. So I'm gonna play this clip. It's a pretty pretty meaty clip. There's a lot of content here, but um, I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. So we'll cut to Nate and uh, Nate, thanks for being here. Quick introduction, my name's Nate Stroer. I'm a director of digital transformation at Third Stage Consulting Group. I've had uh, 15 years in uh, specifically working in technology around ERP packages and digital transformation. I uh, started my career at Deloitte Consulting where we did more of the, uh, we worked on a lot of the financial analytic systems, a lot of the big ERP packages and traditionally worked with the Fortune 500, Fortune 50 companies. And most of our clients and our implementations were around the, the length of about a year to two years um, and uh, completed a lot of implementations from both a domestic and an international level. Um, I've worked in the last 10 years, I've focused a lot more on digital strategy, organizational change, um, process improvement, and um, finance transformation and project management around the entire end-to-end uh, -end implementation and change management piece. Today, I wanted to talk to you about organizational change, and I um, wanted to start off by um, taking a step back and, and just talking about kind of at the, at the high level, what is organizational change and why we, why we focus so much on change management and what are the advantages of change management. We'll go through today and talk about um, what the advantages are. Why, why change management is needed, especially in today's environment. And I will finish up with some success stories and some areas that are common pitfalls that lead to more challenges among the change management initiatives. But really starting off when we talk about what is organizational change, um, trying to, to define um, organizational changes is really at a high level, anything that's preparing people for the transformation and drives transformational per performance. So to, to put that in more um, 
understandable terms, it's any initiative that will allow your people to change and take best advantage of the transformation that's going to take place. When we talk about change management, there, there's often the, the question, I have a good implementation team. I've chosen a good implementation provider. Why should I take the time? Why should I invest in a change management initiative? Uh, Eric shared earlier, and I think it was a really good point worth repeating, that it, change management is often one of the most overlooked steps within a technology initiative and a data transformation initiative, but often is usually one of the most important factors towards guaranteeing or ensuring the better chances of success for the technology, not only at Go Live, but uh, past Go Live and through to the optimization phase. And um, as you continue to take advantage and move through your technology timeframe, it really puts everyone in the position that you're in a better advantage better situation to take advantage of what you've implemented. Starting with change, change is difficult and personal. People are comfortable with, they, with what they know. Um, I think it's we can really look back at the last year and see that we've all been forced into a lot of change. I think that we're probably, everyone on this call is really tired with hearing um, about how we're going to have a new norm, how we're going to fall back into the normal way of life that we're all used to. But basically, I think this last year has really been a great example of how comfortable we are with change and how uncomfortable we are with what they what we don't know. Change management is really a, a, an attempt and a, and a set of processes that will help people and bring the people, the processes and the technology forth to take best advantage of your digital transformation and the technology that you choose in the future. Forced initiatives introduce many questions. It, it, often with most of our technology implementations, we find that there's the common resistance of how is my role gonna change? How are the jobs gonna change? Am I gonna lose my job? Am I gonna be asked to, to do something that I don't know? Is our team gonna change? Am I gonna report to a new boss? Are my skills outdated and do I have to learn new skills? Do I have to learn new skills to keep my job or do, you know, how can I change better to keep myself active and keep myself as an important part of a team moving forward with the new technology? We, we talk about when change and, and the, the difficulty with change, um, people change for many different reasons. Um, the, the best chance, the, the best way and the best chance to ensure success with with people changing is to when people are, are better able to change and be able, better able to handle change when they understand and they believe in the new direction. Uh, we often hear the phrase, uh, you know, kind of blindly following a leader, blindly following a program. While that is, is sometimes a sign uh, or is a method of ensuring success, really we find that when people understand where they're going, when they believe in where they're going and they know where they're going, there's much better chance for success and much better openness to change and much better to get into the flow of what this change means. Another, another way to ensure that, um, that people will more clearly follow the direction of change and be 
take best advantage of the change is to make sure that the orders that they're following from the leaders, that, that they are known and that they are understood. Um, again, kind of when we talk about that concept of follow blindly a leader, the chances of success are so much better and people uh, are more apt to adapt to change when they know what the what is the direction from the leader when they are able to follow the direction from the leader and when they are when they trust in the leader and trust in the journey and the vision that's ahead people are obviously way more when people are more excited to learn they're going to be better suited for change i think that just kind of goes without saying but it's something that's really important here when you when when a, an organization is able to clearly define what is what the new change means what the new change brings to not only the organization to the individual and when they're able to build excitement around that and they're able to show that hey something better is coming down the line with this new technology change we're going to have a better situation when we're done with this and we are all going to be better for not only the organization but for ourselves that creates excitement that creates a, an attitude and an atmosphere where people are excited to change, they're interested in the change, and they have much less resistance to the change. What I mentioned earlier, and I think it's this, it's important to bring up here, is um, when we talk about change, there's always the, the positives of change, and then there's also the negatives. Uh, oftentimes, change is a, is a enabler to for people to keep their jobs for people to keep current in the organization and for people to keep current in the new environment and the new technology environment that's being implemented and being considered so it, when we talk about the all the positives of change we also talk about the the motivation and the reason people change and, and where they find that personal motivation often comes from just the fact that they, they need to change, they need to be current, they need to stay up with technology and they need to think strategically to keep themselves in the position they're in and enable them to grow throughout their career and throughout the company. Obviously the financial rewards, and we listed this last because this often is one that, that people think of initially, uh, initially and at the top of the list, when we talk about financial rewards, there, there often um, is is not only the reward of the immediate implementation, and um, often companies will have success rewards, they'll have milestone rewards, they'll have timeline rewards, but there's really um, the reward of what this means for you as an individual and for the organization going forward. Will the organization be in a better position to achieve its mission and its goals? Will it be able to grow and think more strategically? And will the individuals within the organization be able to make themselves more valuable to the organization by taking advantage of the technology? Want to talk about really what, what are the initial challenges? What are the common challenges that, you, that we run into with change management and why change management is in place is to address these challenges and to help organizations overcome these challenges and move forward with um, their, their te technology that they've chosen and the path that they've chosen going forward. So first is initial resist, intentional resistance. <clears throat> People are opposed to the change. They're uh, forward, forward, or they're they're um, out. They're outspoken about their resistance to the change. It typically is among the key stakeholders and influencers. 
there oftentimes a, ha, happens that you will run into sabotage by these people, refusal to accept the changes. And this is one of the uh, one of the more obvious forms of resistance, but it's also one of the most difficult forms of resistance to deal with. What we try and do in our change management process is to initially address and try and figure out where this initial intentional resistance is coming from, try and address it early on, try and address it straightforward and try and come to a common understanding of what is this resistance? Why are the, the people that are opposed to this change? Why are they opposed to it? Understand what their motivation is, what their resistance is, and really try and figure out what it is that is making them act and feel the way they do. Often this is this is one of those steps that is um, easy, very easy if addressed early on. It's very easy to handle. It's very easy to address. And it's often one of those that if you uh, ignore it, and, and like we said on our last line, if you ignore it and you don't treat it head on, and if you don't treat it early on, it can spread like a cancer and it can really undermine not only the, the entire organization's ability to adapt to the technology, but it can also a, a affect the way an organization, that the way the technology is used by the organization. So what we often say is um, when we are rolling out a change management plan, we and we, we're starting to work with the technology implementers to to implement the technology, to, to make our change management plans, to write our training plans, to write our communication plans. We try and find out where is that resistance? How do we address that? How do we get in front of these people that have this intentional resistance? And how do we, we bring it to the forefront and eliminate it or at least address it before we move forward? The next form of resistance is a little bit more difficult, and it's I say it's more difficult in the sense that it unintentional resistance is really one of those areas where it's harder to detect and it's harder to mitigate. We often talk about uh, um, in our own personal lives, I just have a feeling that I, that I just don't either understand this, I don't agree with this, or something just doesn't feel right about this. That's how I would describe unintentional resistance. People are opposed to the change that's happening in an organization. It's harder to detect, it's harder to mitigate, and it's really kind of harder to learn exactly what that is and and how that is affecting the individuals within the organization. I often call, I often compare this to um, someone that just says, you know, I just, I'm going to go along with this. I'm excited about it, but there's just something that doesn't feel right. And I, while I'm going through the motions, I'm not putting my heart into it. I'm not putting hundred percent of my effort. This one is a, it, the unintentional resistance is a lot harder to address, but there are very good methods and very good ways to get around this. And, and most importantly, um, the, the communication lines with, throughout the organization from the top down, the involvement in workshops, the involvement in the um, setup of the new technology and really involving everyone at all points throughout this implementation phase and throughout this change phase will address more of this unintentional resistance. It'll make people more familiar with where 
where the organization is going from a change point of view. It'll make them less uncomfortable with this change and it will oftentimes mitigate what this resistance is. The third form of change and the, the third challenge that organizations under, uh, encounter is misunderstanding. We'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about success factors later, but this is just a really common, and um, if I had to say, probably the most common form of uh, resistance within change management and something that we really need to address most often in every one of our clients. And really what this is, is just confusion with what the future state process roles, responsibilities are going to be. It also is a misunderstanding with where the future of the organization can be. So when we talk about a change management process, we sit down and we say, right from the beginning, where is an organization today? Where does an organization want to be in the future? And how will the change that we're going to be going through get us from where we are now to where we want to be? If that communication is, if, if that vision is not clearly understood and clearly communicated throughout the organization and understood throughout the organization, individuals will often misunderstand or they'll often create a different version of where they think the organization's going. And that's where this misalignment happens. The resistance with, with this type of the the challenge with this type of resistance is that often people don't know that they are they're resisting they don't know that they're not going through with where the organization is trying to go so they are often thinking i'm well aligned with the goals of the organization i'm well aligned with where we want to be but really where their true north is versus where the organization's true north is are not the same things and that resistance will slowly but surely pull the two apart. And then we talk about misalignment. So this is very, very close, closely related to misunderstanding. Misalignment is basically just um, when an organization is all going in the right direction, but aligning on how the individual pieces of that organization will get you there is not in, not only not aligned, it could also be aligned perfectly, but it's not communicated, it's not understood, and it's not put into execution. So I often compare this to a, uh, to use a sports analogy, it's often that, that every, all the players on the field know what the play is going to be, but there, there often is misunderstanding on what their role is to get them to where they want to go. Misunderstanding and misalignment are um, often the most common forms of resistance that we see, the most common challenges that we see within an organizational change, and really some of the easiest to mitigate through constant communication, through a well-known understanding, a well-known vision laid out by the leaders and understood by the individuals. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or 
download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. I want to take a second here now to talk about the objectives of any change management initiative. We start out with, um, and with any clear uh, change management initiative, we start out with two different pieces of the project. And we, we, uh, you'll hear me often through this presentation and as we go on throughout the week and dig deeper into our workshops, we're going to talk about what I will call the technology side of any change. And that is really just the nuts and bolts. That's the software you choose. That's the platform you choose. That's the environment, the technology environment you have. And then we um, talk about the change management piece. So from a change management piece, our first objective is to assess how ready is the organization for change? Uh, it often we have clients that our com are coming from technology that's anywhere from 10 to 15 years old. They have become very set in their um, processes. They they're very used to the technology they have. While they're very excited for change, there is a lot of lack of understanding, lack of skill sets, and lack of knowledge of what the the new initiative can bring them, what the new technology will bring them. So we really are trying to, at that beginning step, we're trying to say, how ready is the organization for change? How open are they for change? What skill sets do they have? What skill sets do they need? And what organizational changes will need to take place from a human capital point of view to get and to take an organization from where they are today to where they want to be and take the best advantage of the technology? Then we talk about executive aligning executives and stakeholders. I alluded to this earlier, and this is really coming to an understanding, a clear understanding between amongst the executive team on what their mission and what their goals are in a one to three year time frame, where they are now, where they're going to be, and how they're going to get there. That is often one of the steps that we find is the, the biggest challenge at the beginning of a project. Most of the executives feel like they have a good understanding of where they're going to be, where they are now, where they want to be, and how they're going to get there. But it's really getting everyone in a room, coming to a clear understanding, not only of where you are, where you want to be, and where you, and, and where you want to be in the future, but getting an alignment on how we're going to get there. What are the steps we're going to take? How will this new technology help us? What will this new technology not do for us? And so that once we get through this change, what will be the next two to three steps to get us to where we want to be as an organization? The third piece is really mobilizing your internal change agents. And this is really coming down to who are the people that are best best are who are the most knowledgeable people within the organization who are the people that are best with the technology and really who are those influencers that are going to allow us to um to work throughout the organization address the people that um, show the different stages of resistance who are going to help us get spread that vision communicate the vision communicate the project communicate what we're going to try to do these are really your internal leaders that uh, are going to 
basically help you with the change management process, put it in place and, and lead from the inside for the change management going forward. Then we develop it and execute a communications plan. Eric alluded to this earlier in saying that, uh, that change management is far more than just communications and training. But I will say that um, with that being said, this is really one area uh, communications plan that can really make a huge difference between a mildly successful change management initiative and an extremely change management successful change management initiative. It's really important to not only look at what your communication plan is, but how you will communicate pe with people. What will be the frequency of your communication? What mediums of communication will you use? Certain groups, as I spoke about earlier, will react to different communications in different ways. Some groups will want to have live communication. They want to meet with their leaders. They want to uh, either be on the same Zoom call or be in the same room. They want to hear where they are now and where they're going and how they're going to get there. Other people are very uh, email oriented. They want, they want a communication to come out every two weeks. They want to have their communication laid out in a certain format. They want bullet points. They want to know the highlights and they don't want to read a lot of history around what's going on. They just want to know what's in front of them and what they need to do. And then there's a hybrid. There's people that are going to need sometimes to enjoy the, the or sometimes they're going to need to have the live interaction. Sometimes they're going to need electronic interaction. interaction. Sometimes they're going to need to have uh, town halls. Sometimes they're going to need to be involved in a presentation. It all, it all varies depending on your crowd and depending on what part of the project you're on. So this is really a very important piece of this initiative to say, how are we going to communicate with the people? What mediums are we going to use? What frequency are we going to use? And what exactly is that message going to tell them? And then we basically assess and deploy the change impacts. This is basically saying, what are the impacts going to be on the organization and how will we address those going forward? Do we, when do we address those impacts? How do we address them? What is the change to human capital? What is the timing? What is the cost? And what is our plan to get through those change impacts? And then we did design and deploy organizational changes. That's a, um, this is really kind of where we, um, the rubber meets the road. This is basically saying, okay, we have a communications plan. We have a change. We have a human capital plan. We have a training plan. Now let's go and put these, this in place with those, with those changes come changes to the process and the business processes. How are we going to do things differently? Uh, we've all seen in the last year that we've, we've become a lot more accustomed to a remote workspace and, really as organizations now begin to come back to a a more centralized work work environment and to more of a hybrid organ, um, uh, setup, how are we going, how are those business processes going to change? And when we go to a new initiative, a new change, a new technology, how will those business processes change not only today, but when the new technology is implemented? Then we talk about the internal competencies and centers of excellence. This is basically just saying who's going to be the people, who are the subject matter experts, who are the, the individuals within the organization that we're going to look to 
to make the decisions on how the software will be configured, how reports will be written, who will be responsible for communicating within the organization, what upgrades mean, what rollouts mean, what um, changes mean when the new software is implemented and as you go through the upgrades going forward. And then, then we build the organization infrastructure to support the new processes and the technology. This is basically saying, okay, now that we know what changes need to happen with people, what changes need to happen with the process, how do we implement those? Uh, we talk about the ERP um, software training, but this is really kind of more of a, I would say a technology training. This is not only training the individuals for how they're going to use it, what the new technology is going to be and how they're going to use the technology. But this is also going to affect how they're going to do their daily job with other technologies as well, as well other automations. And it's basically looking at the whole environment. When someone sits down to their computer at the beginning of the day, how, are, how is it going to be different, not only from their new technology, but from the way they react with all the other technologies as well? Talk about train the trainers, that's fairly straightforward. This is basically going through and saying, we obviously will reach everyone that that will be using the system, but we also have trained the trainers. We're gonna train the trainers to um, help throughout the organization to make the decisions from an organizational point of view that will roll up to an, uh, the overall organizational standpoint, but then it's really, how do we train these people to go through and be a daily resource to the organizations and to the groups that they're supporting going forward? Deploy, define and deploy performance metrics. So we, we talk about um, KPIs, key performance indicators, and this is a really important piece of the whole change management process. This is something that's often overlooked and it's a very difficult piece of the process, but a very important one. And at a really high level, I'll leave it that we, that it's very important uh, from the beginning of a project to say, how will this new technology ch change the way we do business? How can we measure that? And how can we know that we are benefiting from the new technology and how can we measure what we're doing today and how we're doing it in the future so that we're constantly improving the way we're doing businesses and we're constantly taking advantage of the new technology that we're implementing and the new organization that we're developing. Um, when we talk about mitigating organizational people and risk, this is really addressing the resistance that's still in place and that occurs during the implementation and post go live. And this is really just saying, how do we not only take advantage of the people that have adapted this new technology and are moving forward with it, but then addressing what's holding us back? What, where is the resistance? Not, not only where is the resistance, but where are people struggling? And how can we bring the people up to speed? How can we bring the organization up to speed so that we're addressing what are the issues and what is keeping us from getting the most out of our technology? Then we go to the optimization phase. And this is really um, just going through and saying, okay, after a year or six months to a year, after we've implemented the technology, we're, we're comfortable with it. We've learned how to drive the car. How can we do it better? How can we take better advantage of the technology is are there things that we're doing today that we could be doing better now that we have the new tools in place that will allow us to get to where we want to go 
And then this is that really rolls into the post implementation results. And this is really saying, we thought we were going to be, we were here. We thought we were going here. How close are we and, and where do we still need to improve to get us to where we need to go? Uh, Kyler, is it any more questions that we can address? Um, Nate, real quick, will you kind of talk about what it means to have a partner in your OCM strategy and why that might be important outside the organization? Yeah, I think uh, ha having a partner, having an OCM partner, I think that it's real important to know that this, that an OCM partnership really is something that is is not only a, a partnership and, a, and it's a, not only um, an engagement that needs to happen during a technology change, but OCM is constant throughout an organization. So what we what we build into our change management initiatives is really a plan that's going to say, we are going to help you through, we're going to help you change to take advantage of the new technology we're putting in place and to help you redesign, redesign your organization. But we're really going to help you put this organizational change management function in place going forward. So you're going to see a lot more and, and it's becoming a lot more prevalent these days that organizations will have an actual organizational change management department within their within their group. So their the organizational change management group will be responsible not only for implementing technology change, but it'll be organizational change. It will be helping the organization introduce new lines of business, helping them change to the um, adapt to the changing workforce, the changing work situation as we've gone through this last year. So it's really important to have that partnership, but the partnership needs to happen internally and externally, and then it needs to continue internally after the project has gone live and after the organ and after the implementation and third stage has left. Excellent. And I know we will have you back at some point um, throughout the rest of the Stratosphere concert, our concert. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the concert at the end of this. Um, but you'll be talking about more specific tactics to a change plan um, and items like that, correct? Correct. Yes. And so what we will go and we'll, um, what we'll, what we'll address in our Next session is um, not only the change management tool set, but then we will talk about some success stories and we'll also talk about common points of failure going forward. Excellent. And it looks like Dom down here had put a question regarding an OCM partner. Should they be different um, from a technical partner or can they be the same? And are there any drawbacks of the SI implementation partner also doing OCM. Yeah, I think um, I think that my answer will be a, a very political on the fence answer. I think it's definitely dependent. I traditionally, um, or I'll give you the benefits of both sides, Dom. Um, the, when you when you have one organization that is handling both your change management and your technology implementation those organizations traditionally work well, obviously together because they are the same organization. They're going to be a lot more lockstep and they will often offer you what I would call kind of a one-stop shopping that, that allows you to take advantage of their methodology from both a technical and a change management point of view. The, the 
that there's a lot of clear benefits to that. And I would say that we've seen a lot of success with one organization, Anderson Consulting or Accenture now. They're they're a they're a good example of they're very heavily into change management and they're very heavy into the technology implementation as well. There's a lot of success and there's a lot of great things to have to come from that setup. I also say that it it's go it's good to have um, two different sides to the initiative, two different players coming in um, from a technology implementation and from a change management point of view to constantly challenge each other, to constantly be working in, um, in, in the same arena in the same, with the same mission in mind, but really coming at it from two different points of view and really, um, you know, again, kind of challenging each other and keeping each other, um, in check. So I think, you know, really, uh, the answer is probably yes, success in both areas. And there's probably some challenges in both areas, but I think it really depends on mostly who the implementation partner is and who is running the change management initiative. Okay, great. Well, I hope you enjoyed that session with, with Nate Stroer from our recent events talking about change management. We're going to talk more about this with Parisa and Kyler here in a second. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk more about some of the findings and some of the threads that we picked up on during that discussion. We'll be right back with more Transformation Growth. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberly here with Parisa Noble and Kyla Cheatham. Glad to have you all here. And uh, we just had Nate, or we, we played the clip of Nate giving his presentation at a recent event we hosted talking about change management. Um, Parisa, what were some of your thoughts? What are some of the things that jumped out at you as you heard the conversation? Yeah, well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode around culture. Uh, one of the things he mentioned is people are more likely to accept change when they trust the leader and they like the leader and they respect the leader and and when they're passionate about what they do and they actually like their job, right? If you, if you have good standing with your company and you feel good about what you do, you're probably going to take more kindly to adjusting for them regardless of the outcome. So I guess my question is, what about a company that's struggling in, in building their culture or, or has kind of a, subpar culture, if you will, are they up against more resistance than a company that is, you know, not in that position? <laughs> yeah, most likely in most cases, yes, just because, uh, you know, if you aren't tracking culture, if you're not focused on it, uh, if you don't understand it or whatever, it's gonna, it, it's a sort of 
own living being, living, breathing thing. You know, it's going to do its own thing and it's not probably not going to be what you want it to be. Um, you know, I know that was, you know, for me personally, that was one of the lessons I have in my career is not focusing on culture. In my first company they started, that really created so many problems that just manifested itself in so many different ways that when I started third stage, that became the number one thing I wanted to focus on was building a, a strong culture and making sure that the way we hired people, developed them, managed them, interacted with one another, make sure it you know, was a, the kind of culture I wanted it to be rather than one that just evolved into whatever it became. And culture is something that just having learned the hard way is something that just it, it'll evolve in a way that's probably not positive if you if you don't manage it. It's just I don't know why that is. I, I'm not a psychologist or sociologist. So I couldn't really explain it. But all I know is it's not something that manages itself. It doesn't just sort of self-correct or self-course correct the way you want it to. It's usually going to go, you know, one of a million different directions that you don't want it to go. So, so I think the key is to understand what your culture is, first of all, because I think a lot of executives think, well, they don't even know where to start. You know, they're, you know, if they're like I was, you know, 15 years ago when I started my other company, it's like, what is culture like? What does that mean? I, I want to focus on what I'm, what the business is going to be, not the culture. And so I understand why or why companies fall into that trap. But just because you don't know what it is doesn't mean you can't define it and articulate it. So if you can define and articulate what it is, and that'll help you understand what what's good about that culture and what maybe you want to change and what you want to bend. Um, but you have to articulate it first and define what it is. And a lot of companies have struggled to even do they struggle to even do that. So that's the first step is to find what it is. And then from there, it becomes a little bit easier. Then you kind of see it like, okay, that's that, that's probably not what I want. There's some stuff here that I like, and there's some stuff here I don't like, and here's what I want to change, and here's what I want to look, to look like in the future. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is just understand what it is, and then you can define what it is you want it to be in the future, and then you build a whole change, you know, cultural change plan behind that to help start moving the needle in the directions you want it to go. Right, and I mean, any company that finds themselves with a subpar culture if you will, I mean, would probably want to do what you just said. What about the companies that are planning to go through a digital transformation um, and they really, their team just doesn't like each other and everybody's mad? <laughs> Should they first focus on trying to course correct their culture or is that just kind of, you know, should that be something that happens throughout the transformation that they try to tend to it? Or is it something that they should try to groom before they even open the door to a transformation project? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'd say you, we work with a lot of, we've worked with a lot of organizations over the years where they, they have political dynamics and infighting and cultural cancers and things that you, it doesn't matter how well you run a transformation in that environment. You're, you're not going to succeed. You just can't because the, core foundation is just so corrupt or not corrupt, but so cancerous and so toxic and it's creating so many problems that no transformation is going can possibly succeed. So in those cases, you do have to, you have to fix that stuff. But, you know, those, those are honestly pretty extreme cases. I mean, every organization has political stuff and they've got cultural warts and things that could be better. Every organization has that, but I'm talking about the really extreme ones that we've seen that you, you definitely want to fix those first. But I think the more common thing you see is that organizations fail to realize that they're actually harming their culture by mismanaging a transformation. So they end up, you know, you end up, if you go in and you manage a transformation in a way that is unrealistic or um, isn't focused on the right things or, you know, like change management or you're not focused on your people, you end up unintentionally creating a toxic or a cancerous culture. So you're kind of doing the opposite of what the intent was because you aren't focused on culture. 
and because you're also also because you're not managing your transformation the way it should be managed in the way you could be managing it. And so, you know, you think of all the, you know, examples of that we have from clients where they, they, for example, they set an unrealistic timeline for a transformation because the software vendor tells them you could, you could do it in this amount of time. And they almost always underestimate the amount of time it takes. So then you, you draw a line in the sand and say, okay, we're going to implement in this amount of time. And that was an unrealistic expectation that never had any reality to it to begin with, but it becomes reality for your organization. Now you start forcing people into this unrealistic scenario, creating all this pressure and chaos and burnout and morale issues and all this stuff that's harming your culture. So, you know, it's, it's sort of strange because on one hand you think, well, how can I improve my culture and what are the cultural transformational things I want to do? But you also have to look at just the fundamental stuff that you're doing as a transformation that might actually be harming your culture and what can you do to not do that? So I think there's, you have to look at both angles there. Yeah, and, and Nate, especially in this presentation and a lot of his content focuses on that need for transparency. Um, like you said, Parisa, at the beginning of the segment, that trust in that leaner, leader and that impact that that can have. And then when you mismanage uh, a transformation and are not transparent with your team and communicating what their new job description will be or the plan around helping them through this change um, creates distrust within the organization. Nobody wants to work for a company they don't trust, right? That just feels feels wrong. So I think when businesses can take that transparency and um, and really tackle that vulnerability with their people to say, you know, this is the timeline we're going to do our best to stick to it. This is what we're going through. Um, then you get this lens of creating that trust between leadership and employee, and they're much more um, amenable to going through that change with you when they feel like they're a part of it, right? So, yeah, that trust comment is a really good one because yeah, that, it's Go amazing. It. Sorry to interrupt you. It's, it's you. amazing how when you you unintentionally create that distrust, like even the example I gave of the unrealistic timeline, no one did that no one was nefariously trying to do something unrealistic, but it does create the perception that you put me, you, the leader, put me in this situation that I can't win and you're setting me up to fail. You're setting us all up to fail and therefore I don't trust you. So it's a, it's in 99% of the time it's unintentional, but it's so powerful and so negative. So it undermines. Absolutely. And manifesting that fear in an already very scary situation by not having any controllables over what's happening with your job function, with your, you know, spreadsheet you've had for 25 years, and that can that can scale from a multi-billion-dollar global company to a family-owned small business. All of those tactics in the transparency of change plans and strategies um, are definitely a, a huge, huge impact. Right, and it's being transparent too with the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think, like you said stepping into the vulnerabilities and showing, you know, we wanted to add this part of the system or enable this functionality, but for this reason we couldn't, or even, you know, just kind of laying it all out there and keeping everybody on the same page. I mean, to the extent that it would be um, constructive, I guess, right. You don't want to lay everything out there. Overshare. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, enabling your team and welcoming them into the process by just sharing those things is something that will build trust even when it's something that maybe, you know, you think that they don't need to know, it could benefit you in just letting them know, right? It's interesting. Yeah, and it's, that's a great point. And, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, because it's, uh, 
when you get in these projects, there's a certain amount of self-preservation that happens where we tell people what we want them to hear. And then um, there's another piece of it is that, you know, you want to stay positive and, you know, there's a, there's the optimistic side of us that is, is there's a good nature to it, but there's a dark side of that too. When we get too optimistic, don't look at, well, what's really going wrong and let's hone in on that and let's fix it, not to dwell on it, not to blame anyone, but let's just fix it. And you can't do that without that transparency that you're, you're talking about. I mean, especially in today's culture too, because you look at even how people are putting ads out and, and every holistic approach to doing business, authenticity is, is taking the lead on everything because I mean, we're, we're living in an era of information. I mean, we just Google something and we can know whatever it is that we want to know. So having that raw bare bones authenticity in everything you do, whether it be communicating your transformation plan or your marketing, I mean, lead with authenticity and usually it works out for you. That's what I've learned. <laughs> and another thing I was curious about was the metrics behind change management. Um, you know, we always talk about the importance of change, the strategies behind change, you know, best practices. How can we measure it? What's a what's a good way and a good metric to make sure that you are on track and doing it correctly through a transformation? Yeah, that's a good question. I, the way at the most fundamental level, the way we typically measure it and the metrics we use are, are related to, uh, first of all, you have to take stuff that's very intangible and subjective and put it into sort of a quantitative objective format, which is, you know, it's never clean, it's never easy, but we use a survey tool and a diagnostic that helps that helps clients quantify different aspects of their culture. So it helps identify where the strengths and weaknesses are. And it also helps you track progress over time. So you might look at things like, and it's all perception based too, that's the other thing. It's not, it's not fact per se, but it, it is fact in some ways because it's perception and that's what you're, you're managing to or what, what you're measuring. You're measuring what people's perception of, you know, communication and collaboration and management style, leadership. There's all these different dimensions that we measure in our organizational diagnostic or, or assessment. And that's probably the best way to do it. And, and the only way I know of to, to really measure something that's so hard to measure. Um, so that's, that's part of it is you have to sort of force yourself to take something that's intangible and touchy-feely and, and put it into you know, more subjective or a more objective, uh, quantitative uh, format. Um, the other part of it too is, you know, everything in change management should tie back to business value and ROI. So, you know, you always want to be thinking about change management from the perspective of not just, we want to do this because we feel like it's the right thing, or we feel like people are going to feel better about it. You can certainly do that if the diagnostic shows that it's going to help move the needle and it is moving the needle, then yes, you know, that may be true. But even more important is, is it helping add business value? Are we actually realizing the benefits we expected from the transformation? Are we getting the value from it? And even as you're going through the transformation, you may not know yet what that value actually is because you haven't had a chance to realize it, but you can at least think of change management from that measurable perspective of how are we going to increase you know, efficiency or improve the customer experience if that's one of our goals or measures or whatever the case may be. So tying it back to the broader strategic goals, I think are is important as well. Right, that makes sense. I mean. You mentioned it, ROI. I mean, that's an easy, low-hanging fruit. That should be how you measure almost everything that you do. <laughs> but there's so many intangibles there that it's hard to quantify in a sense, but you have to find a way to do it in order to, to stay on track. Yeah, and garnering both those qualitative and quantitative pieces of feedback. I know Nate always talks about he has tons of content on how to measure change management. 
Um, he's done it on our Digital Stratosphere podcast. He's written blogs on it and has a variety of videos on it on the Third Stage YouTube channel. I know um, in just monitoring our audience questions, we get questions all the time about how do I convince my senior management team that change management is a, a pivotal part of this um, overall digital transformation. And I think utilizing these metrics within the plan, you know, how will we measure success, takes change management from almost a soft science to an actual tangible strategy. So I think it helps both on the front end in pitching it to your senior management team and making sure it's a part of your overall strategy to the measurement at the end to see if, you know, your implementation is working. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you have a good point about pitching the executive team, but also just educating them on what change management is because so many people don't really understand it. So it starts with that. And as part of that education, you, you also want to make sure that you, you're aligned on how you're going to, how you're going to achieve the, those change strategies. Right. It's all important stuff. Okay. Now to close out this conversation, I thought we could play another game. Eric, we played a game recently on an episode where it was like fire round. So this is going to be similar. And I'm going to ask, ask you what the risks and benefits are of partner involvement in OCM. They kind of touched on, you know, if you bring in a system integrator, can you give them the organizational change management strategy to spearhead? And I can guess what your answer is there. And, you know, what if you do it internally? So I'm going to go through three different scenarios. The first being spearheading organizational change management internally, passing it to a system integrator, or getting support from a third party independent consultant. So I'm going to list them off and you give me one risk and one benefit. Speed round. Okay. Are you ready? Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. I'm ready. Let's start with system integrator because I'm excited to hear your, your response to that one. Give me one risk and one benefit of passing organizational change management to a system integrator. Okay. The risk is they focus too much on technology and just understanding how to use technology. Uh, the benefit would be that they know the technology really well and they, they can train on the technology pretty well. Typically. Good answer. That was more mild than I was expecting. <laughs> well, I mean, I have a lot of other thoughts that it wasn't directly related to your question. Though. You didn't ask me whatever, you know, what I think outside of that. If you wanted to keep going, I could, but it's, it's a speed <laughs> run. I'll keep it simple. <laughs> You're right. We'll save that for the next episode. <laughs> All right. How about if a company were to keep it internal to their project team? What is one risk and one benefit? Um, well, the risk is that they don't know how to manage change or they don't have a maybe a structure methodology and way of doing it. And, and even though you only asked for one, I'll give you two. The other, the other big risk is that they don't see what, how to manage change just because they're internal and it, it, you get blinded by just being part of it every day. You don't necessarily see with a fresh perspective on how to, how to manage that change. But the benefit, the upside is that you own the change and that ultimately that's what you want. You want to own it. Um, so it's, it's a matter of how do you, how can you do that, but also address the, the risk. Got it. Good answer. And risk and benefit of bringing on a third party independent consultant to help with OCM. Sure. So assuming they know change management well and they're experts in change management, you're, you're getting that value of having someone who's an expert in it. They, it, that's what they focus on. They're not trying to focus on technology. They're not trying to focus on other things. They're, they're focused on, on change management. So that's the, the benefit. Um, the risk is that you rely too much on the consultant and you don't, own the change the way you need to. So 
my suggestion would be to do a, a hybrid of speed round question number two and question number three, which is combine the internal with some sort of outside third party change management expert, not your system integrator, which to your point, I don't think your system integrator should be doing change management, or at least not a large part of it, maybe, maybe little pieces of it, but that's, that's the piece of it. And then the, uh, the other, uh, the other pieces that you, you want to have that, that outside expertise for people that can help with it, with the change piece of it. Right. Ownership is a big component to this. Own your project and uh, it'll turn out how you envision it to turn out rather than putting too many eggs in other people's baskets. Yeah, absolutely. Good job. You passed the game. You won. Thank you. I do. Hopefully I did better on that one than I did the last time. I think I failed the last one if I remember right. I didn't, I didn't pass that test. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thanks for being here today, guys. This is a great conversation. We covered a lot of a lot of ground here today and pretty far reaching ground as well. So thanks for uh, all your all your support here today and for hosting with us. And also thanks to the audience for listening. Hope you found value in this and hope you'll go back and listen to other episodes. If you haven't already, go check those out. And again, every Wednesday we, we release new episodes on YouTube and all the typical audio podcast platforms as well. So hope you all have a great day. Thanks for listening to Transformation Ground Control and we'll see you next time. Thank you.